Hey everybody, it is the Action Films of 1984. I am Michael, your host, and Rob's back as always to discuss our selection. We can't pick every action movie. But, did you notice, Rob, that the selection is a lot lower than it will be in about five years? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because it it feels like the action explosion hasn't happened yet. We're just on the edge. I feel like 85 is when it really, like, holy crap, there's three or four huge box office returns. And then that kickstarts Mm -hmm. a whole new action genre. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. But, uh, so we're looking through the list, we pick five, usually we do four, but I threw in one at the last minute as a ringer, and uh, it's not as action-packed as I thought it was, so we'll get to that. But, let's start yeah. off with Red Dawn, maybe the most action-packed of all of these. Oh yeah, definitely, uh, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, the most violent, uh, I think, um, uh, it's, it uh, held a record, I think, until... Um, Rainbow Three with the most acts uh, of violence committed per minute of film. Wow. Yeah, I think it was like 134 or something like that. Uh, I, I don't know. I have to. I have to look it up again. I remember reading it, but it was like, yeah, an insane number like that was just like the most violent movie ever made at that moment. And then eight years later, we had Hard Target, and it blew it away. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what they did to that poor film. Oh, God, I can't wait to hit the 90s. It's going to be so much fun. Absolutely. Um, here's my thing with Red Dawn. I like it. I don't love it. I know some people who worship this. My friend Andy said it was his favorite film, and I was like, I've never heard of that movie. And he he'd kind of described it to me, but you know how teenagers describe movies. <laughs> They're just like, oh, and mm-hmm. then he peed in a gas tank. I was like, that's why you love this movie? Because he peed in a gas tank? You know, stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, Right. You know, I thought it was okay the first couple of times. I get where it's going. Here's my problem. I can't tell if John Milius is purposely making it over the top, like the way Verhoeven did Starship Troopers, or mm-hmm. he can't guide these kids towards non-hammy acting. Some of it's atrocious. Uh, yeah. Um, I actually, like, uh, I don't know. Uh, Red Dawn is has always been one of my all-time favorites so i mean it kind of fits because it's kind of like an absurd premise altogether so you, you kind of have to go you know aim for the top you know with this kind of thing yeah you know well he's it's not a, he's absolutely... not a subtle director because if you look at like no. a big wednesday and conan the barbarian before this he has this huge sweeping dramatic way to him so i feel like this is intentional yeah yeah, uh, Milius. Um, I mean, like, yeah, that's that's the great thing about it is that he he really uh, plays it completely straight, which I think probably makes it more absurd how straight it's played. Yeah, you know, like you know, it's it's uh, the like you know the, the the themes of brotherhood and fathers and sons, like uh, that scene with Harry Dean Stanton. Boys, avenge me! <laughs> it's just like, oh, you guys are just aiming for the moon. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, the only person that gives a natural performance, I would say, is Ron O'Neill, who is severely underrated, yeah. especially in this performance. Uh, yeah. He is just layered. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, cause Ron, like, probably uh, him and Powers Booth are probably, like, the most experienced actors out of the cast. Yeah, well, Dean Stanton, like, of course. Har- Harry Dean Stanton, but he's hardly in it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but, but Harry Dean Stanton's really just, you know, eating up the material, like, you know, for as briefly as he is in the movie. Um, 
uh, Ron O'Neill and uh, Powers Booth, they're kind of like, you know, like they're playing it straight, but they're not going as high, the, you know, high depth as uh, everybody else is. Right. Like, especially like uh, Patrick Swayze. The, the, what was that scene with the, uh, where the, they, 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 they witness, uh, where Charlie, she witnesses all the, the parents getting killed. And he's berating them. Don't cry! Hold it back! <laughs> and it's just like, D- dude, relax. <laughs> yeah, he's not really known for being a, dramatic, uh, a subtle actor because uh, I watched North and South yeah. a lot as a kid. And I watched mm-hmm. it recently. I was like, oh, yeah, he's going for it. That's why everybody remembers him from that miniseries because unlike the rest of the cast, he was going for a home run. Right, right, right. Uh I think that, that that's why he ended up in a lot of the roles that he did, like uh, sp- specifically like Roadhouse and Point Break. Right. You know, you know, he 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 just gravitates to those. He gravitated to those kind of roles, and you know, all power to him. Like you know, it uh, it made it made him the icon that he was. You know, like when you when people sp- I mean, of course, when people speak of Patrick Swayze, favorite Patrick Swayze movies. You know, you're going to get your people saying dirty dancing and goes, but then all the men are like, yeah, yeah, Roadhouse and Point Break. <laughs> Steel Dawn, <laughs> which is on yeah, every streaming yeah. service. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, which, which is funny because clearly they, they saw all the money that came in for Red Dawn and just renamed it. I bet you it was not called Steel Dawn when it got greenlit. Yeah, totally, totally. Uh, probably called... Uh, they definitely called something else, but it was like, yeah, yeah, we're going steal gone. <laughs> hey, so I the thing I keep missing in all of these movies is all the times I've seen this movie is he's out of high school, right? He's older. Yes, yeah, okay. Yeah, he's he's uh, definitely like um, I know uh, Charlie who plays the the younger brother. He's uh, he's still in high school. And like it, uh, it's heavily implied that uh, uh, Patrick Swayze's character was like uh, like the star uh, quarterback of a football team, but like you know now now he's just you know settled in. To, um, I, like I, I don't recall like uh, was he like supposed to be working as a mechanic or something? Uh, you know, kind of like you know the glory days are behind him. I mean, it, it's heavily, it's like subtly implied, like they don't really go into it because literally they just go straight into the action within like the first five minutes of it, you know, but like they have that little moment where like, you know, they apply like his backstory. And uh, I, I think that was the implication from that, that uh, he was, he was a guy, you know, who his glory days are like seemingly over. Right, but he's stuck in his old town, which is different than the remake. Which I don't, I don't hate the remake. I just the shaky cam bothered me. But they go into the fact that you know he's he's coming back home from military and stuff like that, and they build his story a little bit more, so it's a little clearer his age difference between his brother. Okay, I mean, I didn't even bother watching the remake. Really, I liked it. it, It's a compromised film because a it sat on the shelf for like three years while they waited uh, for MGM to get out of bankruptcy again. But two, um, they had to take it back and re-edit it because they were afraid of losing the money from China, so they switched it to the North Koreans, and it doesn't 100% fit. Right. Yeah, but I yeah, like. I actually uh, quite like it, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, that, that's, a, that's another Milius thing. Because uh, he did that video He wrote that video game, Hopefront, uh, and uh, the uh, North Koreans were the, the villains in that one as well. So I think, I think uh, that was... Uh, think of Milius just uh, 
let's pick on North Korea for a minute, you know. Yeah, and that one leaves it open to a sequel. I, I always thought it'd be good for a TV show, but this one is finite, uh, at least for those boys. Yes. And not to give it away if you haven't seen it, but and they don't one hundred percent say it, but Patrick Swayze does die, right? At the end he's done. Yeah, yeah. They definitely okay. they definitely both uh they definitely both uh die. I I um uh, I think Char- Charlie. Uh, spoilers for an almost forty-year-old movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, Char- Charlie's definitely dead. Yeah, we, like we don't see, we don't see uh, Patrick die, but uh, it is heavily implied that he dies right there. Right. And yeah, ninety percent of the cast dies, so you just be ready for yeah. it. I'm not gonna tell you who lives. Yeah. Right? But um, it's one of these where it starts off with them completely lost. They don't know what to do, and they just get out of town fast enough before the Russians can take over. That is that is a traumatizing scene, especially when I was younger, is because um, they're on the run, and you can see the parachutes landing everywhere in the middle, the heart of America. And that yeah. is just a fucking shock, because they're literally in class, and all of a sudden they just see people land on the ground, and the teacher goes out to ask them what the hell's going on, and they shoot them. They kill all these parents, and they just take over. What was the point, though? What was the end game? They just want to occupy our country and take our resources, I'm guessing, since Soviet Union doesn't really have a whole lot of resources? Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that was pretty much it. Like, you know, once they get there, that's it. Like, you know, there's no demands. They just just occupy, you know, this, you know, middle America town, you know. Yeah. And and that's 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 really it. Like, you know, when when you have like a not to get not to get too political. No, fuck it. Have, like, I always do. I wear my heart on my sleeve. <laughs> Where else are you going to do this? Yeah. Yeah, like uh I hate you. Uh when you get these like those right-wing fantasies, you know. And like, you know, that's that's the the biggest fear, like, you know, they got to come and take my guns away. Like there's literally that uh remember that shot where uh they, they the bumper sticker you you can you can have my gun when you pry for my cold dead hands and it's literally the dude lying on the floor with his gun in his hand and the Russian guy comes and steps on his hand and yeah pries oh that's a subtle metaphor <laughs> oh yeah oh extremely subtle well Milius is known for being very right wing right correct yeah 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 he's definitely I wonder how he feels about Trump if he's on board with this one because. Um, we're looking at an age right now where Russia didn't have to fucking come to our land. They didn't have to pick up a single gun. They got us from where they live through the computer. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. That's how they take over in a weird way. I mean, not when you'd be paranoid, but I mean, we're clearly not. Come on, let's be, let's be serious here. Trump loves Putin for one reason or another. He owes him something or he, he kisses his yeah. ass just enough that Trump loves him. And he's just basically handing our country over. So that's a whole new kind of red dawn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. You know, but uh, you know, like you know, the, the, these macho, uh, these imaginary macho guys in their mind, you know, it's like, oh, like you know, these commies are gonna tongue, come and take my guns away. You know, it's all they'll take my guns away, and it's like, dude, you gotta worry about a little bit more than your fucking guns, please. Yeah, you know, they, they're gonna take a lot more than that. Yeah, it's and it's watching C. Thomas Howell's character go from. Uh, you know, just an innocent little boy, oh yes. shucks, kind of kid, to being a psychopath. It kind of reflects a lot of what's going on. And, and I work at a right wing store. I mean, it, it, I'm not going to tell you the name of it because I don't want to get fired. But my company, <laughs> my company skews very rural, very right wing. We, 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 our most profitable thing in the store is guns. Um, I hate it. I'm almost to my five years where I can get my stock. I, I feel filthy 
like every day these guys walking in and promoting militias. They don't wear the American flag. They wear that weird black and white backwards flag. And mm. they're always talking about killing the governor or, or you know, they're going to try to take away our guns. And they're talking about the Civil War. Some of these guys can't wait for the next Civil War. But I look at them and most of them are just these broken down little boys that are scared. Like C. Thomas Howell's yeah. character or they're old and fat and they just, they, oh, I can't actually fight or run. But I, you're going to last five minutes in the Civil War, you stupid jackass. <laughs> I can't. Oh, I can't. Yeah. Run. You're, you're done. Your heart exploded before you could even pull the trigger. Yeah, absolutely. You know, this uh, it's it's a fucking clown show. Yeah, it's, but it's but Red Dawn in the wrong circumstances can be like a jerk off fantasy for some of these militia guys, whereas it's a tale of caution for everybody else. And, yeah. But in a different way. So, yeah, it, it's still, I think the action sequences are truly profound, and watching the team evolution is great. I just feel like some yeah, of the absolutely. acting is too high. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's, funny, what's funny, too, is that the, the, the more subdued of the performance is, uh, uh, is uh, Charlie Sheen, because this is very early in uh, Charlie's career. You know, and considering what, what Charlie ended up becoming, you know, Nowadays, everybody remembers Charlie, you know, for being this crazy motherfucker. Right. Uh, like, you know, he's just so nuanced and quiet, you know. Yeah, like, well, this is like, kid, what, his second know? film, right? He did, um, yeah, I think it was like, yeah. Grizzly 2, which is about to finally come out after 35 years. Yeah, I saw that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and Red the, Dawn was right after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, th- this was, like, but it was basically his film debut because it was the first to get released. Right. Because, you know, like, how, how long has Grizzly 2 been on the show? <laughs> I think it was filmed early uh, 83. It was supposed to come out 84, and then the company went bankrupt for weird yeah, and nefarious yeah. reasons. Yeah. The uh, first PG-13 movie, correct? Yes, yes, yes. It was... Uh, um, I know uh, the, the, the Flamingo Kid with uh, Matt Dillon was the first to receive the rating, but it didn't get released until after Red Dawn. So Red Dawn was the first one first PG-13 movie to be released. Yeah. So it has that, it has that dubious honor of uh, giving us the PG-13. And the funny thing, too, is because PG-13 rating was so... They could get away with being a little bit more violent. You know? Like, in a movie's like... So they won't have to get an R, but, like, they could be more violent than a PG rating because, you know, as a, the hoopla with the, one of the movies uh, on on this that we discussed on this segment, uh, which we'll get into. Um... That uh, like they did it so they could be a little bit more naughty and get away with a little bit more violence yeah. and like you know so they can get away with it. But now like pe- people when they hear PG thirteen, it's like oh god, PG thirteen. Yeah, well PG thirteen is also different because back then they gave you more choices. Now it's like well we need more money and that's why yeah. we're gonna go for the PG thirteen instead of the R. That's why there's so many uh, unrated cuts later. The R rated cut. Yeah. But what, what you see, though, in the PG-13 movies back then is completely different than the PG-13 movies now. Dreamscape would be an R. Would not a, there's yeah. no doubt in my mind that would be an R. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think Red Dawn would be an R, too. Like, it's uh, really, yeah. There's not a lot of blood, though, except for, like, Powers Booth's... No, that's right. I forgot. Jean... Uh, Jennifer... I'm Jean Grey. Jennifer Grey. Hers is pretty brutal. Yeah. Yeah, I think it would yeah, be and, right. Um, it would be an R. Also, also, uh, Ardvac, uh, the the Hispanic uh, kid, uh, his 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 death is pretty brutal. Like, uh, 
he gets lit up with guns, like when they're uh, with, he he dies right before Powers Booth. Right. He okay. Gets okay. Lit yeah. up. I, I remember he, his body slumps over the the, the tank, the the, the the gun, and then when it turns over, his body's like basically just flumped over on uh, onto the floor, and it's like, oh, that's just gnarly yeah the, he pulls no punches in this this is if you're going to yeah. get into a war there's going to be a lot of people you like are going to eat it yeah totally the um yeah. one last thing i want to say about the movie uh is i don't know how you are with movie guns but there's a gun that william smith has at the very end that unfolds i know it's from another movie and it's driving me fucking crazy i know it from another that that gun's popular from that one film i want to say it's project shadow project shadow chaser but i could be wrong uh, I I believe you may be correct because you don't see I, that very often. Whereas a fold out stock on a machine on a, a a small machine gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I believe it's been a God. I can't even remember the last time I seen Project Oh, we're gone, buddy. Uh, I, oh, we're gone on this show later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. But I believe you may be correct on that. I, I believe it may have been in that one. Okay, so that's yeah, Red Dawn. I still recommend it, but uh, and now that you've kind of given more of a hint of what Milius was going for, I, I get it now. It's more high drama, theatrical. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Uh, anything else to say before we go to our next film? Uh, next movie? I almost said a word that doesn't exist. Um, no, no. I think we pretty much said everything. Um, like, yeah, it's it's just right wing macho fantasy. But um, if uh, you know, I just appreciate the, the 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 cheesiness of it all like because it's pure cheese you know the, i i can't take any of this shit seriously so yeah. i enjoy it on the like you know the absurd factor you know and and i just absolutely love it for that so <laughs> yeah. yeah it gets a recommendation for me yeah it's best enjoyed that way instead of a a doomsday prep kit <laughs> don't watch it in preparation right right it's definitely better than Amerigeddon. Jesus Christ. I can't even... I don't even know what that is. I don't, I'm not sure I want to know. Um, yeah, yeah, don't. don't. <laughs> uh, Terminator. The year Terminator launched. I have not seen the most recent one, and I'm just... I'm, I don't know if I want to. I just feel like this franchise after Salvation became such a fucking mess. I don't like reboots, overhauls, erase previous sequels. Fix it. If you have a problem, find a way to fix it. That's what a real writer does. He doesn't erase right. it. Right. Um, I, I'll say like regarding Dark Fate before we get into Terminator. Um, I I've only seen it once. Uh, I was actually tricked into seeing it. Um, <laughs> How does that happen? <laughs> no. So so check this out. So check this out. Um, uh, I went to uh, what was supposed to be a free uh, fan screening of Terminator Two, ah. and they were going to show. And they were going to show, as they claimed, they were going to show twenty minutes of. Terminated Dark Fate. As we're all sitting down, lights come down, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton come on the screen and they announce that they're going to show the 20 minutes. But then Arnold says, why don't we just show them the whole thing? And Linda goes like, yeah, you're right. So we ended up seeing Terminated Dark Fate for free. That's pretty and cool. I, I, yeah, it, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I enjoyed it. Like I said, I've only seen it once, so I don't know like how my opinion will think of it. Um, on a rewatch, um, I've I've heard a, a alternate version that they could have done, and I was like, yeah, they should have did that because the movie's basically like just like a, a, a 
complete Terminator reboot. Like, they just do the same story again, but different. Oh, just like Halloween. God damn it. Halloween H2O and the new Halloween are the same fucking movie, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is basically like that. It's like the, the action sci-fi version of Halloween uh, 2018. And, um, I mean, I enjoyed it. Like, I, I thought it was fine. I know a lot of people hated it, and that's fine. You know, I thought it was all right, you know. But uh, it is it is definitely just like almost beat for beat Terminator. Oh, man, I don't know. That first one is I still think the first one is the best one. I know everybody loves part two oh, yeah. because how big it is. Yeah. But I love the neon look. I love the stripped down with uh less budget. Jim yeah. Cameron is more inventive. Once he gets yeah. to like True Lies, which I think is his last good movie. Fuck you, Titanic and yeah. Avatar, I'm sorry. Um, also, I, I think, well, it also destroyed him. He was making a movie every three years, and he was completely satisfied with it. And all of a sudden, Titanic was so big that he felt like he had to top it. Now Avatar is so big, he has to top it. I don't know anybody. I don't know a single person on this planet. It's like, yeah, Avatar 2, I can't wait. They're like, oh, I might go see it, at best. Then you're like, Avatar 4 or 5? No, what? No, how about we just see if we want to see the second one first? What the hell? Yeah, I, I hate I hate when that, 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 that happens. Like, you know, that that putting the car before the horse mentality, you know, like, 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 um, movie, movies nowadays where like they, like even the first entry, like the, it's obvious they're planning for a franchise and they leave the first entry on the cliffhanger. And it's like, make sure we like this one yeah. first before you start plotting sequels. Well, it's the Back you to the Future where he never actually intended for a sequel, he's just goofing around. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, it's like, well, Super Mario Brothers, how about you make a better movie instead of leaving us hanging like this, assholes? Right, right. Right, right, right. But um, yeah, uh, going back to Terminator, um, I, I completely agree. It's it Terminator. The first one is still my favorite. This this one is still my absolute favorite. I love that stripped down, you know, like almost real horror vibe. Right. Yeah. It's much more of a stalker film than it is a high end fantasy action film. It's just go, 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 go. It's like if Michael Myers um, was on cocaine, <laughs> you know, and yeah. had a machine gun. Right, it, it, it absolutely is, and it's, it's like a perfect explanation. I, I think he, he 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 came up with the idea with that in mind. He even said that it was like you know my because he did one of the sketches of the 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 T eight hundred split in half, you know that the, he does at the end, and one of the sketches he did was the 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 T eight hundred severed in half crawling with a butcher knife. He was like, yeah, that's my seventies uh, slasher fantasy. Like that's that's how I did it, and. It, it's it like it perfectly encapsulates the idea, but like it does those those slasher movies one better because you know those slasher movies had the unstoppable killer, you know. But they can't give us an explanation why Michael Myers is unstoppable or Jason is unstoppable. They just are. Here is the perfect explanation because he's a cyborg from the future. Yeah, you know. And and I think the way they shoot it, you know, the grimy Los Angeles, almost underground yeah. world. Whereas the sequels are this huge, open, like, daylight and, you know, in the city, but, like, heavy traffic kind of city. And I just yeah, I yeah, like absolutely. the uh, the subtle darkness. The, well, it's also like the way New York is in the 80s and, and late 70s, where it was grimy. You never knew what was around the corner. That was, a, that was scary on its own. Right. Right, right, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, 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 like, another thing, like you said, like... Uh, Strip down Cameron with like less money is more creative, you know, and uh, it, it really shows. Like, you can see why though he went on to to, to greater fare though from this one because uh, 
just not just like that, his creativity, but his his directing. I, I still say the Tech Moore sequence is probably the, the best thing he's ever directed. Like uh, right before, uh, like when T eight hundred Arnold Schwarzenegger discovers uh, Sarah, mm-hmm. like sitting at the table, and he's walking to her in slow motion through the dance floor, and he's pulling out his gun. And Kyle Reese is sitting at the bar. He sees him, so he's pulling out his gun. Like you know, like it's all in slow motion, and just like the the, the amount of tension in that scene. I don't think he's had a, a made a more tense scene than that in his entire career. I right, because you didn't know. You with, At the time, you had right. no idea who was the bad guy. They were stupid in the sequel. Every advertisement shows that he's a hero now. But then you watch the movie, right. and he's setting it up as if he's trying to make him a villain again. You're supposed to get really nervous as he's coming to the sanitarium. And right. they ruined it with the trailers, but the first one, you don't have a clue who is nah, the bad nah, guy. And they play all. that so well. Absolutely. Like it, it is, it is massively done. You know, uh, Cam, Cameron just, um, I don't know. Like, the, like I, I love Aliens. The Abyss is probably my favorite movie from him, though. Yeah, I haven't but, seen uh, that one in forever. Oh, I love The Abyss. I, I think it's his masterpiece, and it's the one he doesn't talk about. Because I think um, it's the only one of his that didn't make a profit. Like it broke even. Yeah, yeah, it, uh, it it didn't do that well. So like, it's the it's the only one. Like, when, whenever he comes out with a movie, that's the only one that does not get mentioned. <laughs> it's like, oh, fuck you, dude. Yeah, that movie's great. The uh, but like, yeah, like, no, go ahead. Now, um, what I was thinking though is if how much it would have changed. Okay, so I think uh, Michael Bean is that how you say his name? Bane Bean. Uh, Bean. Bean, okay. Michael Bean would not have been cast if they had originally gone with Lance Henriksen because they look too much alike, you know, same physical kind of spiky hair thing. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. how they would have played that. But I And then they went to what, OJ and they said they didn't believe him to be a killer, which is a notorious story about it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I got the thrown off for a second. Oh no! I was just um, thinking, like, who? How would they have played that if they hadn't? If they had cast Lance Henriksen, would they have cast a big guy as the hero? I just don't think it worked. It would have worked as well. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I think Henriksen was a was a would have been a good choice because Henriksen is an amazing actor. But uh, casting, like, I know they wanted Arnold. To, his agent wanted him to play the role, and he sent him in for the role of Kyra Lee. And uh, uh, testament to how smart Arnold is, he read it. And he was like, "I don't want to play this guy. I want to play the Terminator," you know. And Cameron was like, "Yeah, Arnold. I don't see Arnold playing the guy and uh, the, the the hero." And uh, he was like, "He would have been. A, he would be a better Terminator." And then when Arnold said, "Yeah, I don't want to play Tyrese. I want to play the Terminator," Cameron was like, "Yeah, yeah, you should." And uh, that that's how it became. I know his agent was pissed. Like his agent was like, "Dude, like, no, you got to play the hero." I was like, "Yeah, well, he's the title character, but he only has sixteen lines, but he is the title character." <laughs> I also don't <laughs> speak English very well. Duh. <laughs> right, right, right. That's why they only gave him like the, you know sixteen lines in the entire movie, and and two like I think like two of them are like in other people's voices. <laughs> well, and I was thinking is. Originally, he wanted Lance Henriksen because he could slip in and out of a crowd and not be noticed, but Arnold Schwarzenegger sticks out like a sore thumb. But what he does really smart is he opens the movie up by introducing you to um, Thompson. What's his name? Uh, from Lionheart. 
uh, Brian Thompson. Oh yeah, yeah. Brian Thompson yeah. is just a you know a dude in that world who's a punk or whatever, and he's the same size. So they automatically kind of ease you into, hey, guess what? There's gigantic dudes in Los Angeles. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I love that scene, by the way, though, the, because of uh, not just Brian Thompson, but the, the, the appearance of uh, the, the late, great Bill Paxton in uh, his first uh, Cameron movie. You know, and, you know, they went on to be become great, great friends after that. But uh, seeing Bill Paxton with spiky blue hair <laughs> and pre uh, when he got his teeth yeah. fixed, he had that big gap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, my turn! And they were fighting over the, uh, the t- like the, the telescope or whatever thing. <laughs> Who is the uh, big other big beefy guy? That's the thing. They also introduced. There's a good guy. He's the one from Top Gun and uh, the TV show Pacific Blue. Rick. Um, Oh, Rick uh, Rossovich? Yes. I so, I mean, they kind yeah. of, that's another way that they, like, kind of open up and go, look, Los Angeles is a place for actors. We have Muscle Beach. There's going to be giant dudes in this city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and, and, like, you know, and I like how they, they show him, and it looks like he's in a pair of Speedos as he's laying in bed. Don't make me bust you up, man. <laughs> and, you know, so you think, oh, this this guy could take him, and then no, he just he he gets eviscerated. Yeah, and that's <laughs> that's goes, that's what they said. They could. I mean, for a while there, you think there might be two villains because Schwarzenegger opens fire on uh, um, Dick Miller, and so you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like the first time I saw this, it truly shocked me. I saw this on television. We taped it off NBC, and I watched it maybe 50 times that way. I never saw the uncut version until later, and. Um, I was just blown away by it. So when the sequel came out, I was ready. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I remember the the first time the sequel came out. Um, well, the, the the trailer for the sequel. Uh, I was a, I was already playing the original as a kid, and the the, tri- the TV spots were coming on, and uh, like I remember my sister going calling like, "Rob, look, look! They made another Terminator." <gasps> you know, and like, yeah, like you said earlier, like, yeah, they, they're ruining it that he's the hero, so there's really no tension at all, like, when you see him, because you already know he's the good guy. Yeah. Oh, Cameron kind of does that himself when uh, he beats up the bar and he comes out uh, bad to the bone, and it's like, nobody coming out to bad to the bone is going to be the bad guy. Right, it deflates it, you're right. <laughs> You know, I have to thank my mother. My dad doesn't like sci-fi usually. There's barely any that he liked. He, um, he was more of like, a, I need grounded reality kind of thing. But, you know, I, I got to thank her for the Ghostbusters, Terminator, uh, Big Trouble, Little China, and st- you know, all that stuff in that era. She was like, the Dreamscape is friggin' awesome. You got to see it. You know, she's the one who would always tape these movies off television for me and let me see them. So when it comes to sci-fi, it's just, I have to thank her. I mean, she told me, she's like, this guy is like unstoppable you can't he, there's nothing you can do to beat him he just keeps coming and coming and coming and that's become like a staple in movies though he's like the terminator she's like the terminator you can't stop him mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely i agree and the uh the finale in uh the the warehouse or whatever it is the factory is yeah, yeah. i mean it clearly didn't cost very much but the way that he films it and there's a tension building up the whole way I just think it's one of the most brilliant endings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's uh, I, I know that's that climax become a staple of the Terminator franchise, where they all, always end like in a, in a factory type setting. 
uh, newsflash is the same in Dark Fate as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, like you know, it, they they always end there, and it's like I think it's the best done in in the original because of the the, the tension in it. Because uh, you know, Reese is all fucked up, and uh, you know, it's basically Sarah having to drag him right now, like she's having to protect him, basically stepping into her warrior role. Yeah. You know? So it's uh, and like you know, I know the producer wanted uh, Cameron to end it after the explosion. Like, yeah, that's it. He's dead. It's over. And he was like, no, fuck you. This is my movie, and they're gonna go into the factory. Like, yeah, but uh, Arnold's not in the movie anymore. Now it's just a robot. And it's like, so? I'm gonna, That's how I want it. That's how it's going to be. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. And uh, God bless him for sticking to his guns, you know, because who would have known what, uh, what would have came of the franchise? But maybe it, uh, it would have been a good thing for they not continue. <laughs> maybe. Well, no, I still like some of the sequels. But I got to tell you, yeah, yeah. what makes it even creepier is I, well, the first time I saw it, I was not used to stop-motion animation, especially not in a fantasy setting. I think the stop motion herky jerkiness of the Terminator coming after her is still nerve wracking. There's something un uh, unsettling about the way it moves. Right, right, totally. Like, yeah, I mean, so so sometimes, like, yeah, like, I mean, when it's done well, it's it's amazing. Like, uh, like Ed two hundred nine and RoboCop. Um, and then there's Nemesis and Cyborg. <laughs> it doesn't work as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of it's kind of kitschy, you know what I'm saying? But um, yeah, I, I guess I guess like this is like kind of in between those. It, it it works well. It's lucky that they they don't use they don't rely on it all that much. Right. Like you, in you, a few a few shots of him walking, but it's mostly just Stan Winston's you know puppetry. Yeah. That, uh, that they rely on. This is his big showcase because before this, yeah. Stan Winston was an also ran. He was not one of the big three or four names being talked about. It's almost as if, um, oh, damn it, I can't think of it all of a sudden. Don, Tom Savini was starting to step out of special effects. In the mid-'80s, he was kind yeah. of backing off. And then all of a sudden, Stan yeah. Winston came in and just knocked the fucking doors down because he wasn't just doing great special effects. He was creating characters that we all remember yeah. and love. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know he got he kind of got the shaft because he he was a big helping hand on a, the John Carpenter's The Thing, but Rob Bothin, um basically got uh, credit. I know I know he was just there to help him because uh, Rob Bothin collapsed due to exhaustion on The Thing, so Stan Winston came to just like help out. But uh, I don't. I don't think he got any credit for that. Yeah, I, I literally didn't so, know this until right now. I had no idea he was involved in the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, he he. Stan Winston is the one that did um, the the scene in the wolf uh, the wolf den. Okay. With, uh, yeah, with uh, the wolf basically uh, the wolf thing splits uh, the dog thing. They, <sighs> yeah, splits open and starts developing other dogs. Yeah, that was Stan. Stan okay. did that huh. because because. Uh, Botine uh, basically collapsed due to exhaustion because he was working so hard in the picture, and uh, Stan came in as a as a favor to do that for him. But uh, yeah, like um, this this was definitely like the the project that that made him. You know, like he he became the Stan Winston after that. You know. Yeah. from his work on this movie well there's a weight which you don't see yeah. very much this time there's a weight to his special effects they feel like they're really there especially in his 
um, you know, peeling out the eye, the way he does it, it just it looks good. I mean, I've seen a lot of fake heads, and I can tell it's a fake head, but it's a good fake head. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, and, it's, and it's framed well, you know, uh, going back to, you know, the talent camera, you know, it, it does it like, you know, he frames it perfectly so as, like, it looks like uh, a sentient being and not a puppet, like, you know, with a less creative director probably would have ended up looking like a damn puppet. Right. You know, so. Was this, is this the first time we ever saw a robot that you could tell what was going on in its mind? Because the showing the data constantly going through its vision. I don't think it had ever yeah, been yeah. done before. You had no idea. They were just robots. They had a personality like C-3PO, but you didn't know how it was functioning like that. And then James Cameron, James Cameron was like, well, it needs to see its orders. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, they, they picked that up yeah. again in RoboCop. Yeah, totally. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But uh, this is this is my favorite of the bunch. I think it's one of the greatest sci-fi films of all time. Um, yes. And, and, and like I said, the series has its ups and downs. Genesis is where it lost me because they decided, hey, let's go back to the... It's like a greatest hits collection. And I was like, what? No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, uh, but, um, yeah like... Um, I, uh, I actually think uh, uh, Rise of the Machines Part 3 is my least favorite. Because it's basically just Terminator 2 all over again. Just with the... I mean, I do like the ending of that one. The, the ending of part part three is ballsy. Yeah, like, I, I was actually I surprised that. that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was like, oh shit, they actually did it. I think it's gonna. Oh, the future is saved once again. No, no, they said fuck the future. <laughs> <laughs> um. So next on our list is Streets of Fire, the rock and roll fable that everybody expected to blow out in 1984. And if it had been any other year, where it wasn't up against like the greatest movies ever. I think it would have done better, and I think they blamed yeah. it on Michael Prey, who I think is fine in this. He's not a great actor; he's an adequate actor when he has the right director. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. think blaming um, him and destroying his career was the wrong thing. I think Streets of Fire just came out against too much competition. Yeah, totally. Um, and I, th- I think his people who just like, like they didn't really get the concept. Like, like what is this? Like it's a it's a rock and roll uh, uh, musical fantasy action, you know, film, and, and it's like you know you, I, I don't think it really been done like that, like you know the way Walter Hill envisioned it and put it together, and it's almost like kind of like a, like a comic book fantasy too. Right? Yeah, like, it's like the way it's like a sequel to the Warriors. Yeah, 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 totally. You know, but like the way he wanted to do the Warriors, because that's how he really wanted to do the Warriors, almost like it was a comic book strip. Why are people mad about that? I'm confused. I've seen both versions, and I'm completely fine with the comic book version. It doesn't destroy it in any way. Um, I, it's, it's, you know, as I didn't get into it because I'm so used to how, I mean, because I've I've seen the Warriors a hundred thousand times, so seeing it like that was kind of like, eh. Yeah, I mean it's not needed, but it doesn't destroy the film. It just has a it changes the tone slightly. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. But uh, I mean, it you know the, the the film is 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 amazing no, no matter which way you look at it. Yeah, and Streets you know, of Fire is like, its its brother. I would say it's it's different, yeah. but it's the same in its attitude and style. And uh, I'm not a fan. I'm gonna this is blasphemy, but I'm not a really a fan of Forty Eight Hours. So oh. you go from Southern Comfort to the Streets of Fire. I think it's perfect. I'm I'm fine with Forty Eight Hours. I just don't think it's like the greatest thing in the world. If you took Eddie Murphy out of it, it's barely passable. 
Yeah. Uh, like, yeah, he, he, he is the one who makes that movie. Like, uh, I mean, I love Nolte in it. Uh, I love, uh, uh, James Ramar in it as Gans. Uh, but it, it is like Murphy who, who centers that movie. Right. It would not be an $80 million hit without Eddie. Right. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, so this had to hurt. For Walter Hill and the producers involved, they're like, well, we can write our ticket for anything, and they get this made, and then it just dies. We had the oh, soundtrack. Yeah. That's the weirdest thing is we had the soundtrack in our house when this movie came out. I didn't see it for another 15 years. I didn't see it until 98 or 99. Wow. Somehow it just passed me by. Yeah. I don't, and I don't know why. Yeah. Uh uh, I, uh, I I view this was one that I always wanted to watch because I was as a kid I was a really big fan of Walter Hill movies I used to watch all of his stuff you know uh, not just uh, The Warriors of 48 Hours uh, uh, Southern Comfort uh, um, Extreme Prejudice Red Heat um, I was actually, I'm actually more of a fan of Another 48 Hours yeah oh, another um, 40, I like 48 Hours too better yeah yeah yeah, yeah. another 48 Hours is like and plus, it's more of an action movie than uh, 48 Hours. Ago. Right, and Nick Nolte so, doesn't say the N-word. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Thank you, thank God. <laughs> thank God. Like, uh, the, they, they cut that shit out, you know. Yeah. But, well, um, well, here's the weird yeah, thing is, like, the one I know from him is his comedy, Brewster's Million. I taped off television. I watched it so many times. That's the one that I knew the most for a long time from him. Right, right. Uh, that's actually a big favorite of my mom. She's a big fan of uh, Brewster's Millions. Um, I, I, I prefer uh, Walter Hill's macho stuff. Yeah, well, I think it's because as a uh, kid, you just think about all that money. What can I do with all that money? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Like, uh, I, I like the, the macho fair from him. Like, I love it. Like, uh, he's kind of like more of a, a, a decidedly less right-wing version of John Millions. Yeah, and, and like, there's a know, movie going to come up in a few years where they're intertwined, where it, it shifts over to him taking over from uh, Millius. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I, I like... Uh, I, Walter Hill has been one of my favorite directors ever since I was a kid. Um, and, uh, like, I've I loved majority of all his stuff. Um, I, I, I can't say... I can't find anything good to say about Supernova at the moment, but uh, I don't think I don't think he would either. No, no. He well, he's taken off that, but, but this is like his first <laughs> kick in the pants. Like, oh, I'm, I'm yeah, riding yeah. high, but but it didn't seem like it hurt him because he immediately hit the ground running again with Brewster's Million, and he, he just kept going and going and going. We have Crossroads, Extreme Prejudice, Red Heat. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he doesn't stop. Think about it. He did a movie every year because he did Johnny Handsome, Another Forty Eight Hours. Yeah. Uh, and then there's, I think, a small gap where he did Trespass, and then he did Geronimo. He just, it, Wild Bill, go, 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 go. That's the way the directors used to be. Yeah. Then uh, after Last Man Standing is where he just kind of said, ah, fuck it. Yeah. I mean, you can only take so many hits where they stop hiring you or stop offering you projects that are interesting. Right. Uh, I think, though, that uh, after the success of Alien, uh, you know, he was supposed to direct that. He ended up just producing it, and Alien made so much money that he could just, you know, he could take the hits and be fine, right? You know, so, so like this was more of a a, a hit to like the, the producers on Street of Fire, the disaster of it all. 
than him himself. He was just like, ah, oh, whatever. You know, right. I'll, I'll pick myself up. Did Joel Silver have any hits before this? Because I feel like he failed upwards because what he did Xanadu in that was a huge <laughs> flop. I can't, I cannot tell you the movies he did, but I feel like the first few were bombs. And then all of a sudden, well, he was a producer. He, he was a producer on Forty Eight Hours. Oh, was he? Okay, so, so that must have got him. Because yeah. well, I thought that was more of Lawrence Gordon's show, and then Joel no, Silver it was, was... Uh, yeah. Uh, um, uh, Joel Silver was an apprentice to Lawrence Gordon, so um, I was like him coming up on, on that. Uh, and then uh, uh, this bomb, Streets of Fire, and then uh, the very next year, he did uh, uh, Commando and Weird Science. Yes, yes, yes. That uh, Commando and Weird Science. So that was like the the start of like you know Joe Silver becoming one of the kings of the eighties. Yeah, but uh, Streets of Fire I think has a knockout performance by William Defoe. I mean, he just shows up and says, "This is me, people. Dig in." Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, there's a him him, but uh, I also love Amy Madigan. Yes. Oh, fantastic. Uh, yes. And I love the fact that uh, she wanted, like, they wanted her to play, like, you know, with, uh, I think the sister or something. She was like, no, I want to play this guy. I was like, all right, so we're changing for you. She said, no, leave it. Leave it. I, I want all the I want all the male dialogue. It's, it's, uh, I want to play it just like that. And, you know, to her credit, she plays it damn well. Yeah. You know? So she's just amazing in the movie. I love her. I, I love her. She's probably my favorite character besides, you know, Tom Cody himself, played by uh, Michael Perret. She's absolutely my favorite. It's uh, and we have Rick Moranis being a total tool. Uh, uh, Bill Paxton shows <laughs> yeah. up in this one again. Um, well, you yeah, hold on a second. Is it the same producers or something? Same agent? Because Rick, uh, what did you say his name was? Rick Rosenthal. Rosevich. Rosevich. He's in this too. What the hey? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now you see the appearance by Lance Henriksen. We're sold. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I love the musical numbers. I love that it's like a fantasy world where it's 1980, but it's also like 1955. It's the wild one meets Flashdance in a way. It's 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 just truly captivating. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I mean, uh, this is probably like uh, one of my favorite visual movies. Yeah, well, know? I love the score too. The Blasters. This is how I discovered that band. Yeah, like uh, oh yeah, yeah, totally. I love, like, it's just, like, one, you know, kind of music video, you know, just the score and uh, the music and the visuals. Uh, yeah, well, MTV like, clearly had a good influence on this. Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, like, and uh, also, I, I love how um, they they have to do, basically, a movie in the studio with a, with a tarp covering the studio, like, the, the lot. Because yeah. uh, most of the actors were uh, too young to, you know, and they were forced to go undergo child labor laws. So in order to shoot the night scenes, they basically put a giant tarp over the, the set to block out the daylight so they could shoot night scenes. But it was so fucking loud, right? Because the wind was making it flap or something? Yeah, yeah, totally. Oof. That, and it's such a small set, too. I love that set, but when it comes to an action sequence, it's got to be rough because it's so tight. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you're going to see this a lot, uh, because this is before CGI, so you're going to see us like, in Dick Tracy and The Shadow and Batman, where they only have, like, six blocks to work with. Yeah, yeah, but, I mean, they made it work for themselves. Yeah. And, uh, uh, um, Walter Hill, like, you know, he's he's a master visualist when it comes to action. Um, 
I I I know the for a fact that uh, when they shot uh, the climactic fight between uh, Paray and um, Defoe, uh, like they they have a uh, like this like once again going to the macho fantasy, they have a fight with uh, uh, sledgehammers. <laughs> Jeez, it's so heavy. <laughs> I've lifted yeah. sledgehammers. I just don't see how. <laughs> Excuse me. Right, right. <clears throat> no, it's great. And like for some reason or another, like he decided he wanted to like. Uh, do it again and pull it to the head between uh, Stallone and uh, all right with the axes, uh, Momoa. Yeah, Jason Momoa, but he kind of did it worse because, like, you know, the editing was choppy on that, and it's like you already perfected it in a shoot to fire. Why did you have to do it again? But just do a worse version of it. Yeah, that last decade of Walter Hill is kind of embarrassing. Yeah, then uh, I mean, I I got the. What was it, Tomboy, which they renamed the assignment? I still have yet to watch oh, it. Oh, yeah, reassignment. I got like 10 minutes into it. I was like, eh, I don't know. Uh, it seems kind yeah, of low yeah. rent. Yeah, which, which is sad. It yeah. seemed like an episode of a TV show, not an actual movie. Like an episode of Tales from the Crypt or something. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I don't know. Like, I felt like, you know, Walter, you know, you already got this perfected. Leave it alone. You know, trying to, trying to, because, like, even, even you know, the, the assignment, the reassignment, or Tomboy is what they prefer the title. It's kind of like, um, kind of like a, a, a cheesy, trashy version of uh, Johnny Handsome. Yeah, Johnny Handsome that, yeah. Really, Johnny Handsome is, like, a really classy piece, and then that one is just, like, trash. It's like the Italian knockoff version of Johnny Handsome. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's a perfect point. That's a perfect point. Directed by Stelvio Masi. <laughs> which is funny because I'm looking at Terminator and I just I thought what's that movie that he did Shocking Dark Terminator 2 yeah yeah, was yeah, it Mossy yeah. I can't uh, remember who that was no Vincent Dawn uh, uh, what's his American name Vincent Dawn uh, Bruno Bruno yes. Matai yes thank you did, uh, sh- yes Bruno Matai uh, the, the the absolute uh, rip off master you ever seen Strike Commando 2 I love Strike Commando <laughs> 1 and 2, but I can't find 2 anymore because it's not on YouTube and it's never hit DVD as far as I know. There's a company that sells um, uh, uh, DVD-R copies. Yeah, Reebok, right? Yeah, I have uh, I have like two copies of Strike Commando 1 and a copy of Strike Commando 2 over around here somewhere. Yeah, we just uh, uh, we did uh, one of the last episodes of Trash Cinema was about Strike Commando because we did a Red Brown double feature. Nice. Robo War and Strike Commando. Uh, I just I, I, I got the I got the Blu-ray of Robo War. There's some stuff <laughs> I'm just not gonna buy. I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> I I just love the trash. So I know, I, I know, I me to too. But it. I don't know how much I want to put out because those are expensive. <laughs> like, oh, seven thirty dollars for no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> right, I literally, I literally like uh, speaking of that. I literally just like shelled out like thirty something dollars for a. Uh, um, a copy of American Workshop. Okay, with, is that uh, good? Because uh, I remember it is American Tiger, and I don't remember anything about it. Um, uh, um, our, our friend Michelle uh, Kisner, Kisner, I hope I'm saying her name. Yeah, right. yeah. She she just uh, ordered it and watched it, and she said that uh, it's great trash. Uh-huh. It's a terrible trashy action movie, and like uh, like it's just uh, a crazy like Chinese uh, horror film. 
rolled into one. And I was like, okay, now I have to see Yeah, it. now I'm sold. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, I trust her opinion. She's got, she got, she's got the eclectic taste. You know, I have most of my friends yeah. are like really, really extreme. Like, they'll buy any movie and they don't judge it. They're just like, I just love this movie. I love it. And I'm like, okay. And then people who only like, like the, oh, this is a high class movie. Yes, I love it. Whereas she's yeah, more in my yeah. line where she's like, yeah, I like some trashy movies, but I'm going to tell you it's trashy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she's not going to pretend it's the greatest thing ever. Right. And she's, she, she knows it's absolute trash. I blame all of you, by the way. I, I, I used to mock the limited edition runs and stuff like that. I don't need that. Why the hell would it? And then all of a sudden it just turned for me in January and I blame all of you for it. Why I own copies. <laughs> Fucking, I own Blast Fighter um, um, 2019 after the fall in New York. If I see oh, this yeah. limited to 2,000 copies, I'm like, oh shit. I can't believe I didn't buy Rad. I should have bought Rad and just given it to you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. The bane uh, of your oh, existence yeah, right was... now. Fucking hot. Yeah. These guys buying two or three copies, pricks. Oh, yeah, motherfuckers. Uh, my friend Ken uh, literally missed out on getting a copy, and there was a dude bragging about getting two copies. Like, you fucking asshole. Yeah, take back. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, I hate I hate hoarders who do that shit, and then they were selling for, like, 150 bucks on eBay. Fuck you. I can't believe we're almost to an hour. So, uh, real quickly, I threw in <laughs> Romancing the Stone at the last minute and thinking it was this fun, action-packed movie. It's still kind of fun, but, God, there's a long stretch where hardly anything happens. I didn't remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, this was the like the funny thing is that uh, uh, the other the other movies on on uh, in the picks I, I didn't I didn't rewatch because I didn't need to because I, I I watched them enough that I could you know talk about them from memory. This this was the one that I needed to rewatch because I, it's been a long time since I've seen it. But the funny thing is that uh, it was on Hulu and I actually um, started watching it like last month. And um, so when you suggested, like, let's do that one as like, it was like, oh, okay, like, I could just go back to watching this. So I go to Hulu, and it's gone. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> luckily, though, I had to go to, um, I had to make a return to uh, at the this video store in the, in the city. And uh, luckily, they had a copy in there for 250 so I grabbed it, and I, I rewatched it like that. And uh, yeah, um, yeah. This is like you know, it's funny that they say, oh, it's a it's a rip off of Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it's like it's an adventure story, but it's more like a a, a romance than adventure. Yeah, what's well, like, same thing with Nathan Hayes? Why did they bury Nathan yeah. Hayes and the Temple Doom? Like they're nothing alike. Why did they say romance yeah. in the stone? I I would say it got greenlit because of Indiana Jones, but it has nothing. Right. It's nothing like it. The relationship between her. And Michael Douglas is completely different than Indiana and Marion, and the adventure is wildly just separated. Like, this tone, its style, different. Absolutely. Yeah, and, um... The, I, w- I also wanted to talk about the, 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 the genesis of this movie. Did you hear the story about how this movie got uh, uh, to Michael Douglas and how it got made? No, I have no um, idea. Uh, so the woman who wrote this movie, Diane Thomas, she was an aspiring screenwriter, and watched, uh, she was working as a waitress trying to make ends meet, and like she had the script for years. She, I think she wrote it in like '79, and um, uh, she, she's working as a waitress. And uh, one day, who comes in but Michael Douglas, and uh, she waits. She she actually waits on his table, and uh, she brings up her script to him. You know. 
like you know like you know just taking a chance and he's and he's like oh yeah so what's it about and then she tells him the story and he's like wow that sounds interesting you know give it to me you know and i'll read it and he read it and he loved it and he optioned it uh i think it was uh uh they paid the two hundred and fifty thousand dollar option for it and um and it's like wow uh you know great success story you know she goes from a waitress you know to getting the script of michael douglas you know saying who was uh you'll be coming wanting to produce and real powerful the problem is the story kind of has a sad ending because the movie gets made and you know it's a success so as a gift he buys her a porsche oh as a a thank you uh and um her boyfriend he allows her boyfriend to drive the porsche you know with her in it and i believe he was drunk Uh... but he crashes the porsche and unfortunately she died in the accident jesus that sucks yeah I didn't know that. I was so, curious because uh, I saw her name, but I didn't look it up on IMDb. I was like, "What else has she written?" Nope. No, this was the only thing she 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 wrote. Oh, um, uh, unfortunately, because of that, this was the only thing she she ever got to write. So, um, I mean, it's 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 a great story, but then like you know, you get that terribly sad ending. Yeah. And it just sucks. You but know? it's I, I love to hear stories like that, but just you know, not right. like that. But it's so funny. Is I mean, not only funny, ha. I mean, funny, interesting because. I mean, it launched, but it didn't go anywhere because of her death. But we're talking about, at the time, Danny DeVito was still a sitcom actor. Michael Douglas was yes. an also-ran, who who was also a TV star, who only had the China Syndrome as a hit under his belt. Yes, he produced yeah. Cuckoo's Nest, but no one knew that. I mean, it's not like people are like, oh, famous producer, Michael Douglas. And right, right. he had been, what, a Star Chamber bomb, It's My Turn bomb. He was in a few movies that just tanked. And this right. made his career, it made Danny's career, Kathleen Turner. I think it solidified her as a lead, and it saved Robert Zemeckis, who was on the verge of like, I don't know why his movies were not successful. Right, right. They they thought this movie, they were so scared this movie was going to flop. They preemptively fired him for Cocoon. He was going to direct a Cocoon, and because they thought that this movie was going to bomb, he was fired from Cocoon. Uh, and then it's crazy the movie became a big hit and allowed him to work on uh, his pet project that he was working on which was Back to the Future and of course the rest is history right I'll take Back to the Future of a Cocoon any day I mean I haven't seen Cocoon yeah, forever yeah, yeah. but it doesn't have that same connection to our generation right right it, and it, it, I, I've actually creeped out by Cocoon those aliens <laughs> yeah <now>. kinda <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's just it's it's more about of a journey, about these two coming together on the journey than the action set pieces. There's there's a couple bits and pieces, but they're not. This is a low budget affair, considering. Well, okay, hold on. It's better budget than like say what Canon was doing with Alan Quartermain yes. and stuff like that. Yeah. But it wasn't like huge. I, they shot in Mexico for a reason to save money and. Most of it's at the end, which is a hell of a final sequence. Him wrestling that alligator. Yeah. Is that a real alligator? Is that fucking animatronics? It looked real. I, 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 I believe that uh, him actually wrestling with it was animatronics. But uh, it's intercut between a uh, real crocodile and uh, animatronics. Or alligator. Yeah, they did a really good job. I mean, that showed you right uh, there that oh, yeah. Zemeckis could handle special effects. But there's that sequence where mm-hmm. he's tormented. It's already eaten the jewel. It's ready to dive off that castle, but she's about to get her throat slit, and he has to make that right. choice. And thank God he makes the right choice, even though it doesn't work out. She saves herself, which is a brilliant writer choice. She saves yeah, herself, yeah, but it shows that he's yeah. not a piece of shit just after money. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's that's the turn right there. I mean, like, you know, it was it was heavily implied, like, you know, like, you know, is he a scumbag? You know, will he do right? But then, like, that's the that's the you know, like, you know, the point right there that the, nah, he's he's a good guy. Yeah, because right before Especially, that, you know, the, right before that, we yeah. don't know because they get separated on the river, and you think that he's yes. done it on purpose, and then he doesn't come to save her immediately, and you're like, oh, he is a bad guy, and then no, it just yeah, he fucked her, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he he comes, you know, he comes back, and uh, I mean, like he comes, he does come back twice because you know he goes in there, he gets the jewel, and then he comes back for her. So like, yeah, look, see, look, I got the jewel, you know, I got my boats, I got my gator boots. <laughs> He's got, he killed that damn gator, and now is wearing them on his feet. That's, yeah, that's messed up. I like it, but there's another movie that came out in 1984 that was a big flop. Which I think is even better. It has kind of a similar tone. Have you ever seen a movie called American Dreamer? I have not. Joe Beth Williams and I can't remember the Tom Conti. Tom Conti. Um, it's about a wannabe writer who wins this contest for this mystery magazine. Because back in the day, there used to be like Ellie Queen magazine and stuff like that. And she wins a contest. She flies to England um, to accept her prize, her vacation, and and go to the big ceremony. She gets hit in the head. And she forgets who she is. And she thinks she's the character in the mystery novels that uh, she won a contest in. So she goes around England and somehow gets confused and gets caught up in this whole espionage thing where they're trying to kill her for these secrets that she has. And Tom Conti's just this, like, goofball that's stuck with her anyway. And he's the only one that's, like, knows what's going on with her. Like, no, she's not insane that she was a normal person. And and they go on these wild adventures. The action sequences aren't any uh, bigger but it's, it's, I think it's a lot more uh, entertaining and well-paced. But it's not like it's way better than Romancing the Stone. I'm just surprised that one tanked and the other one didn't. Right, right, totally. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think I heard of that one. I just, I've never seen it. Yeah, I got it uh, um, clearance. They're um, they're shutting down the, the license over at Kino Lorber right now. I think I got it for like eight bucks on Blu-ray. It's good. Nice. It's nice. a mom movie, trust me, but it's a good mom movie. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, totally. But yeah, um, I mean, I dug it. I think uh, uh, to, to go back to *Romancing the Stone*, I I dig it for what it actually is, other than what it, you know, what it's perceived to be. Um, I, I dig uh, Michael Douglas in this one a lot. You know, he he really shows his, you know, because Mike. When you think of Michael Douglas, you think of Michael Douglas as a serious actor. You know, he's always playing the serious roles. Right, he's always and playing like a really... high class kind of sleazeball. You know, oh, I, right, I'm right. a millionaire in my fancy house and my right. fancy wife. I'm going to destroy all that with some stupid mistake. Right. You know. You know. When you think of Michael Douglas, you think of uh, Gordon Gecko. You know what I'm saying? Like Yuppie. You know, just, you know. Yeah. But uh, he he's absolutely charming in, in this one. You know, the, I, I find him charming and funny. You know, and it really shows that you know he really can play anything. You know, that 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 just he's a good actor. Like. Uh, I definitely think that he was definitely because I know he didn't want to be in it. He just wanted to produce it, and the reason he he eventually started in it because their initial choice, Sylvester Stallone, oh no, uh, turned it turned it down to do Rhinestone. <laughs> uh, oh, what a fucking choice! Yeah, and uh, he and yes, he very much regrets that decision. Can you imagine him going? I get to sing a song called Drinkenstein? Hell yeah! 
Right. Oh my God, Stallone! What the uh, hell? Fool. <laughs> um, I can't wait to see the sequel. I saw Jules and I in the theaters. I remember having a blast with it. So I'm curious about our next uh, year that when we get to watch that one. No, that's that's another one uh, I, I definitely got to rewatch because I I think I uh, damn I can't even remember the last time I seen Jules and I. All right, final film, Temple of Doom, the dark entry. One of the reasons why we have the PG thirteen rating, and uh, yeah, I think absolutely. a lot of people, a lot of people say it's it's more depressing that Lucas was going through a divorce or something, and it just kind of he carried that through the whole filmmaking. I just think it's a different style. That's all. One and three go together perfectly. Two is its own beast, and yeah, it's a fascinating beast. This is the one I saw the most for a very long time because we taped it off yeah, HBO. Me too. <laughs> yeah, uh yeah, um same here. We uh this was actually my my first uh Indiana Jones movie. This was the first one I watched. Um I I actually seen it in in a weird order. I seen Temple of Doom, Last Crusade, and then I seen Raiders. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I I I really have a problem with uh, watching movies out of order. No, I do it too. It's no. just, I guess because I'm older than you that I had more of an opportunity to see the first one. We're supposed to go to the drive-in and see this with Dreamscape. Mm-hmm. But I Ooh. locked my bedroom door and apparently back then I could actually sleep without alcohol. And I slept through them pounding on my door. I woke up to them undoing the lock. Like he, had, my dad had to unscrew the entire lock to open it up and wake me up or whatever because they thought something bad was going on. Like I, I had died or something. I don't know what. And then I was like, are we going to go to the movie? Like, it started a long time ago. <laughs> oh, man. So I lost my opportunity to see him. Damn, that sucks. Uh, yeah, but um, uh, funny story. I actually seen Return of the Jedi before Empire. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I also seen uh, Search for Spock before Wrath of Khan. <laughs> so I have, I have a huge problem with watching movies out of order. Yeah, but, uh, well, mine's mostly horror yeah. films uh, because I could only yeah. watch them on TV. I couldn't go rent them, and I couldn't see them in theaters. So I watched so many horror franchises out of order. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. I had a bad problem with that, but um, yeah, uh, we actually had uh, the official uh, VHS of um, Temple of Doom. I think it was one of the the first VHSs uh, my my dad ever bought was a uh, Temple of Doom. Which was a big deal, you know, because VHS was around that time. I think started to become a you know real lucrative thing. Right. Well, it's eighty eight uh, was the first year I think that you were allowed to get them at instant buy price. Like the second they came out, they were twenty five bucks instead of being yeah. eighty nine ninety nine, which is insane. Yeah, absolutely. Oh Jesus, uh, I'll be seeing those. Uh, I'll be seeing those like ads on YouTube, like. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, oh my lord! <laughs> now available for the first time at fourteen ninety five, and it's like that was eight years. That movie came out eight years ago. Why is it still fourteen ninety five? Where today they're like, right, right. Hey, let's dump the digital for a dollar fifty. Just put it on Fanflix. Yeah. We get it for free. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But um, this is a. I know I mentioned this when we talked about Raiders, but uh, yeah, this is my favorite uh, indie indie film. I think because it's it's so much of a different beast compared to the other ones right like you know like you said like uh raiders and last crusade go hand in hand and and this one is just you know completely just its own thing well it helps that it's a prequel and you don't get any characters well even part four has callbacks to you know because a marion comes back but it always surprised that they never brought short round back uh short round yeah back into the franchise but maybe he didn't want to recast it and he wasn't an actor anymore 
Yeah, I, I think I think that has something to do with it. Although uh, I saw someone have uh, an idea that uh, they should do an Indiana Jones with uh, short round takes over the mantle from Indy, and I was like, and they have John Cho play uh, the grown up version of short round. And okay, like, I'm sold. Yeah. Yes, uh, please inject that into my veins and my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would give anything to see that version. But, uh, yeah, um, oh, God, I love Temple of Doom so much. It, it opens so wild. Yes. You get, a, like, an old-fashioned musical number. Uh, Packed with one hell fight. of an action sequence. Oh, yeah. When he throws that, uh, he throws that uh, thing like a javelin, you know, the... the what do you call those things where they have like the chickens on it it was on fire and he throws like a javelin into the, into the guy and oh then, yeah uh, yeah okay it, oh yeah flambe yeah 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 yeah. he throws him just like right across the room and, like a javelin into yeah. the guy well we have and the then, shield then, run where the, bo- the bolts are bouncing off that giant yeah. gold shield but the whole thing is it's the most tense sequence I think of any of the movies because he's poisoned yeah. and he's running around this room trying to find the the uh, antidote and then um, what's what's her name Kit Capshaw's character? I can't remember. Uh, uh, Willie. Willie, Willie yeah. And Willie's running around trying to find the diamond. And it's just such a... Yeah. It's clever sequence at the same time. There's this underlying, like, holy shit, get that antidote. You're going to die. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, the, like, they're going back and forth. Was the antidote? Was the diamond? Oh. <laughs> As everybody's just kicking it across the room. It's and, oh, and, and people hate Willie, but Willie is different than Marion. I think they're comparing her to Marion and not her own separate right. person. She's just not the same right. kind of person when it comes to stressful situations. I think I think people were just thrown off because Marion is such a strong character and, and Willie's just such a damsel in distress. And you know, ooh, icky like uh Yeah, the spiders and she, bugs. Yeah, it's uh also, uh, at the, di- the, the oh, the that sequence—that's the hardest monster. sequence for me to take. Oh my god, that's so yeah. disgusting. The chilled monkey brain. Ugh. Yeah, that's that is Spielberg just being fucking naughty. Yeah, he's just like I can get away with this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's totally getting away with that. And like that's that's it was it was things like that that just pissed everybody parents off. And it's like, oh, dude, come on, that and uh, Gremlins. Yeah, like, the microwave sequence, holy shit. I had to look away when uh, I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, and then uh um uh Moira um reaching into the dude's uh chest and pulling out the Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But that that's like, all uh, spectacle and like holy shit, check out this. What really weighs in on the movie is the whole driving point of him going on this adventure in the first place is the children. They're being enslaved. Yeah. And then seeing yeah. just like he gets his brainwashed and he's become evil and you know you got the bad kid and then fire wakes them up and, and then we got one of the best fucking action sequences ever designed the underground mine chase holy shit yeah. I still don't understand how he did it in 1984 oh, yeah. I mean just it's astounding right and uh, and the sad thing is if they did that now it would be all digital yeah and, uh, oh and the no, fucking no, bridge it, oh yeah oh yeah, it's just so amazing. Like, uh, especially when uh, short round is stuck between the middle of the two mine cards, and that Indy, and, and like you know they try like it's just such an amazing sequence. The sequence before that too with the the fight on the conveyor belt. With oh yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, it just it goes, goes, yeah. goes because then they get outside and the water starts bursting out from the walls. You're like, holy shit, how much can they take? <laughs> 
Right. Right. My favorite scene in the movie is like he stops the, like the brake uh, breaks on the minecart, so he has to stop it with his foot. And like when he gets off, like it's like it's just incredibly smoky. He's like water, 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 and he runs out of the hallway. And he sees it just just the, all the gush of water. Water. water! What I love is that's almost—it's almost a callback to his scene in Star Wars. It's almost a subconscious, yes. like in, like oh, when he goes off after the one dude, and a bunch will come back. Which, by the way, I love mm-hmm. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, but they fucking stole that shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally, absolutely. <laughs> well, that's—it's not my favorite Indiana Jones, but it's the most unique and it stands out. And if you love it, you love it because it's so unique. If you hate it, I, I'm guessing it's because you're too squirmy, wormy with it all. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, like I, I can see why parents were pissed. I mean, I don't give a shit, you know. Like, give me, give me all that stuff. But uh, yeah, like Spielberg definitely knew he was going to get away with that shit. And that, that's why he did all like he did all that. And uh, but he also uh, made up for he, it, though. He also made up for it by going. You know what? I think they're right. Maybe we should create a PG thirteen. Now, did he know thirty years later that all the movies would be PG thirteen? No, that was never his right. intention. But it gave him more wiggle room because some of these movies don't deserve an R rating, and and, and so he had to find a middle ground. Can you imagine Monster Squad coming out and being rated R? It would have made like twelve thousand dollars. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, um, yeah, like, but the funny thing is that, uh, uh, could you say, like, um, Last Crusade is kind of a lot tamer. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Well, I think he got nervous. I think they all got nervous after Temple of Doom. Yeah, like, you know, so it's basically all for naught because, you know, you came up with a PG-13 rating and you didn't correctly utilize it. Right, that's true because the rat sequence is such a pullback from the snakes and the bugs and, and of course, the, the dinner sequence. But also, mm-hmm. the, we'll get to an 89, but, I mean, the major death at it is so, like, oh, nice effects. I'm not scared. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, totally. It uh, it's that's the end of this episode. It is such a fun journey. Eighty four is one of the most wild years ever, and it's gonna be so wild that there's gonna be a problem for a while. Uh, we're overloaded with nineteen eighty four movies. Me and Jacob, because we usually do the comedies and dramas, and the list is mm-hmm. massive. So <clears throat> while we won't be able to do the eighty five episode for probably a couple months, we're gonna keep you guys busy. I'm gonna have Rob over on our other show. We got the beat where we talk about teen movies of the eighties too now. And we're going to be doing Credit Kid 1 and 2. Don't you dare bring up Part 3 or I'll kick you off the air. <laughs> I hate 3 so much. Fine, we'll briefly mention fine, it. All right, fine. we'll briefly mention it. Jeez. Fine, fine. <laughs> 3 is so ridiculous. Three is, I want to see his hands bleed. Oh, I love that. I love it. <laughs> Fucking absurd. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah. So where I can mean, we find you outside of this podcast? Uh, of course, uh, you can find me on... Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube as The Cinema Drunkie, as well as my personal blog, thecinemadrunkie.wordpress.com. You can find my numerous writings on uh, ultimateactionmovies.com, as well as actionflix.com. You can find me also as a permanent panel member on uh, The House That Screams, the horror podcast. And um, my upcoming podcast, uh, The Action Drunkies, we we already started recording. 
So uh, that should be coming out soon. <laughs> I can't so wait. Oh, my God. You're going to get to – are you going to be covering direct-to-video stuff too? Because there's a lot to talk about in yes. the 90s with PM Entertainment. I am a sucker for PM Entertainment. My co-host, Andrew, oh, I thinks I am ridiculous. <laughs> oh, I love I love PM Entertainment. PM Entertainment, New Image, uh, I just – I mean, I, I was, I mean, I was basically raised in the nineties. Yeah. So like, if I see the logo those, for those Imperial, I'm excited. Yes, yes, totally. Like, you know, even the lower ones. Like, uh, I just got a, 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 I just bought a movie recently from uh, Sterling Home Entertainment. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and Sterling like, is weird, right? Because Sterling became uh, Lionsgate. I thought owned Sterling, then became Studio, then they bought Green Entertainment, and then that's when they all melded into one into um, uh, uh, right. Lionsgate. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and like, I just, I just love all that stuff. So it's gonna be fun, you know. Also, I, I know um, you wanted to dig deep into action films from the seventies. Yeah, anything so, uh, that we don't cover on yeah. this show, I am completely game for. Absolutely, absolutely. I'd love to have you. You're always welcome. Yeah, just let me know because um, there's a lot of action movies that'll never make this show that I gotta talk about. Kick of the kickboxers. <clears throat> oh, yeah, totally, all day totally. long. Bolo Young just had totally. a double feature released by. Um, yeah, I totally and I totally forgot to. to just came out. I fucking. Right. I uh, I I ended up getting uh, Alphabet City and uh, America Rickshaw, and I was like, oh my god, I forgot about uh, blood blood fight and. Uh, uh, Ironheart. Yeah. Jesus oh, there's TC two thousand Shoot Fighter. Come on, come on. Mm-hmm. I guess that's it. I don't know where else to go with that. But uh, as always, <laughs> check us out on Facebook under Hit Rewind, where we're going to bring you a whole lot more entertainment about 1984 for the next couple months, and we'll be back on course in 1985, where he and I are definitely discovering or discussing Commando. There's no doubt about yes! it. Ray Don Chung oh, just put out an episode of We Were There in Hollywood or something like that, a podcast where she talks about the making of this movie. I'm going to send you a link. She gives zero fucks. <laughs> she talks no, about anything. She does and not. Yeah, it's amazing. No, the, I, I, no, I discovered that uh, when they was doing like a retrospective on the, the special edition DVD. And yeah, she, she really doesn't. <laughs> amazing. All right, everybody. That's it for the tonight. Have a good one. Good night. Hey everybody, it is the segment of our show that we love to call the Scholars of Sketch. Tony and I, we like to go back to the beginning of SNL, discuss uh, the big chunks of seasons there, but also its competition throughout the last 45, right? 45? Yeah, 45 years. Can't yeah. believe it's been on that long. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same age as me because I was b- both started in 1975. Me <laughs> as well as SNL. It was started in 1975. And with you doing a lot less coke. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Fridays is a show not a lot of people know about, but a lot of good people came from. And there was a brief moment where it had the chance of destroying Saturday Night Live. And it took the spotlight for a while, but just a couple screw-ups on ABC's part just ended up destroying the show. Yeah, so apparently it was ABC's attempt to duplicate the success of NBC's SNL, which is weird because I originally thought, that, oh, this must be... You know, also because because it was such such a clone, I think I assumed it was on NBC. Yeah, I oh, thought it was too. NBC, yeah, this was NBC just doing their same thing, but making it on Friday because because who would be so blatant in ripping in ripping off the like the uh, you know this formula? But it was it was ABC. I mean, they weren't in direct competition because they weren't like on Saturday the way like Mad TV was, you know, had that staggered uh, time slot where they're kind of competing with SNL. You know what I mean? Both on Saturdays. Right. So, 
they weren't like a direct competition, but they pretty much stole the the, the concept. They stole the whole idea. Right. Well, the, the, the well, I just went on a like a record skipping there. Da, 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 da. Uh, <laughs> the comparison though is that um, they both smelled blood in the water, and they went to strike. You know, the SNL was falling apart in the ninety four ninety five season, so they saw the chance to take over with right. Mad TV. But you know, SNL was kind of coming to its end. It already lost uh, Belushi and Aykroyd. Um, so yeah, was... so they started they started up in their fifth season, and like the only I think the only ready for primetime uh, player left was Bill Murray, who kind of started late anyway. But so yeah, they so they were capitalizing on a bit of a slowdown. They had they had a, uh, especially going into the sixth season, they had a whole new cast, uh, all new writers, and originally Friday was panned by critics as like um, you see here they they were they were compared unfavorably SNL as like a weak clone. They had to like resort to cheap shock shock humor, and um, but then eventually, in their sixth season, they were they, they were getting glowing reviews, you know, based on the fact that um, they were doing these new ambitious socio political sketches, and then how like you know all these new uh, cast members in SNL were now unfamiliar, so they kind of like you know, they kind of like definitely stole their thunder. Right. Well, I also think that they uh, not just the political, but they're more ambitious in what they were trying to do. There's a more abstract quality, especially with um, Michael Richards' sketches. They always seem like they're just a little bit off the normal path. They're, they existed between SCTV and MT, uh, uh, bleh, SNL. You know, it, it wasn't so esoteric and strange that you might have lost the joke, but it was I always felt like a little bit strange. Like, what is their? What are they attempting here? I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird. I guess it was part and parcel for the time but I always see like that era a lot of like arm flailing I just I guess that's just the way it was in like the early 80s and late 70s a lot of like like heavy physical humor right uh, certainly on Michael Rich, Rich's part and it, especially with his character he does called Dick which you could tell is the genesis of like Kramer you know what I mean it was a, lot, a lot of the uh, a lot of the same characteristics as Kramer I feel like this was like um this was like a, a kind of a dumber version of Kramer. Right. And this is the one where he smokes a lot and he thinks he's like the coolest guy in the room or he tries to be the coolest guy in the room. Right. And he does a lot, a lot of goofy slapstick stuff. Um, he's kind of like a less, you know, a less endearing Kramer, more of like a, like a deep, like an unaware douche. Right. You know I mean? Yeah. And I feel like, um, I feel like, uh, you know, his, the character he played on uh, UHF, Michael Richards, was kind of like a, mentally impaired right right Kramer, oh yeah the one where know? he's like the man boy and he's like you know blowing up his old soldiers out in the backyard that's very oh, similar yeah. to the, the stuff he does in UHF yeah yeah, yeah. That, that sketch was called Battle Boy which is, which is kind of neat it's kind of like a, a kid so obsessed almost like an autistic kid so obsessed with one thing that he like his whole yard he dug a, like a, a whole human sized foxhole he's like you know what I mean <laughs> right, pretty... I feel like he did that on uh, David Letterman. I feel like really early on he did that sketch on uh, Letterman's show. Possibly, not, yeah. I'm not 100 sure. I, I used to have anniversary tapes of Letterman, and you know he always had the special every year, and it would collect up all the cool moments. And uh, I really wish I had sold that that uh, collection because no one's ever put it out again. I can't believe that there's no Letterman greatest of. That, that that seems like there would, especially with certain some of like the uh, some of like the sketches. I know like the, our fans do certain things. There used to be like some kind of oh, some kind of something the intern like uh, the one guy who's on like Always Sunny, who's like one of the um, foils or whatever. 
used to play like an intern or something. Yeah. Like well, that. back in the day, we had Chris Elliott. He was the guy under the stairs. We had stupid human tricks. There's got to be some right. collection. And, of course, there's two different eras. I would say, like, the NBC era is the one that I would really be interested in seeing because he seemed more punk rock back then. Yeah. And uh, similar to you know, John back in the Fridays, they were definitely more of the punk rock of, of the two, of SNL. They're what they seem to really embrace like the uh embrace the the, the uh, new wave rock scene yeah uh, not just not just in the musical guests they had on which very you know which they copied they borrowed from snl but also as far as the sketches they did they did a lot of like punk rock sketches like that guy dick uh like the kramer character um he he goes a punk rock barber and attempts to get a punk rock haircut but dick <laughs> yeah. out ha- halfway through and he just gets his little bald spot on top of his head and uh Oh, they they do another one where like the uh, they attempt to like do a punk rock band, and they do like a, a, th- a Three Stooges are there to like as the cleanup crew, and they pose as a punk rock band, uh-huh. like a for like a hot minute. It's pretty funny. Well, it's it's there's other things like the intro is always unusual. They always got like they had this weird reoccurring thing where one of the female stars would come up and they'd have a little bird on their finger, and they would do some little short sketch that was really just ridiculous. No point. Just that kind was of a like, running thing. They yeah. had like I think they, they had a, a parrot as a, a parakeet as a mascot. So he was always on like um, who's that? Um, who was their announcer slash? Uh, oh, you know I tried figuring that out because they treat him like he's a friggin' star. Like I don't Jack Burns. Yeah. Well, Jack, yeah, apparently he was like um, some kind of, uh, he was a well-known comedian. I, I was not familiar with him. But he was a well-known comedian, and he was kind of like the, really the ace star power on that show because at that point everybody else was kind of relatively unknowns, you know? Mm-hmm. So there, you know, he was he was the intro, He you know, and he did, I guess he sat in for some segments as well, even though I didn't recall seeing him in any. Um, I just, I, that's just, just what I read. But yeah, they all had like a parakeet, and they would sit on their shoulder when they were like, you know, intro people in, I guess it was kind of, it was some, their own little shtick that they did. Yeah, it's, Sorry, the one thing is they didn't really get a lot of big names when it came to the the guest host. Uh, SNL was still bringing them in at the time. But I feel like they chose people who could actually pull off this. This is where 1980, and we're going to discuss it on the next episode, 1980 to 82 of SNL derails because nobody really wanted to be on it. So they started doing stunt casting or just taking whoever would be open to doing something different. And I got to tell you, David Carradine's a fucking failure as a sketch comedian. Uh, uh, Donald Pleasance doesn't fit. Just because they're a bigger name doesn't mean that's the right person. Whereas Fridays, I think, chose better. I think they chose people who were more game to doing something interesting. Well, they didn't start doing – they didn't even start having guest hosts until their second season. So the first season, they didn't have um, guest hosts at all. Yeah. Uh, their very first uh, host was much like SNL, who was the very first host of, of uh, their show. Their very first guest host was George Carlin. You know, just just the way SNL. Except, of course, theirs was on their second season. Yeah. But you know, it's well. Like also, parallels. I, I think that this show hit the ground running. I, SNL was so difficult the first couple seasons. Because there was too many musical performances, there was just weird like bits like with the, the Muppets and stuff like that. It didn't seem focused in any way. Now there's a formula, and it's been that way ever since uh, Lauren Michaels came back to the show. But it, Fridays knew exactly what they wanted to be, and they don't really don't waste any time. Yeah, I mean, they they um, I mean, they definitely had some decent hosts. Like, like I'm just reading the list here now. They had, like Billy Crystal, George Carlin, like I mentioned. Um, Bo Bridges, Peter Fonda, Mark Hamill, uh, George Hamilton, uh, let's see here, 
Susan Sarandon, uh, William Shatner, Brooke Shields. You know what I mean? Some, uh, mm. so some, and then some, you know, some, some, some A-listers, Shelley Duvall, who was, you know, big at the time, Karen Allen, big at the time, you know, and then they had, uh, you know, then they had some lesser known, like some, some writers and some directors. Yeah, well, maybe I'm wrong then. I'm looking at the, uh, the musicians and I can't believe they got some of these people because like I said, SNL yeah. in 80 was scraping the bottom of the barrel. They had ACDC. Yeah, they Holy. ACDC, ACDC, the Beach Boys, Pat Benatar. I like, you know, this is like prime Pat Benatar. The Clash, Devo, Dire Straits, the Eagles. <laughs> you know what I mean? These are, the these are A-listers. Heart, the Jam, Jefferson Starship, Cool and the Gang, Hugh Lewis in the News, uh, Ted Nugent, Paul McCartney, <laughs> you know, the Pretenders, uh, you know, uh, let me see here, Aria Speedwagon, you know, uh, the Tube, Stevie Wonder, Warren Zevon. So, yeah, they had, like, they rent, they, like, you know, all over the place, but, like, definitely some big names. Yeah, well, um, Graham Parker and the Rumor is a band that not a lot of people know, but they were, like, the coolest of the cool at this moment, but then no one remembers them afterwards. Um, yeah, here it is, Graham Parker, the Rumor. Yeah, yeah. Tom Brady and the Heart- Jim Carroll. These are the well. people I know who died, who died. <laughs> I never knew who sang that song before. <laughs> yeah, so it seemed like whoever yeah. their music guest was. Our music booking guy was just uh, really had his finger on the pulse of what was cool. Definitely, yeah. They 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 definitely had some uh, uh, cool kids in the uh, in the research department. They, they're like, yeah, I get some acts on there for sure. So I mean, but it seemed like more seemed like it seemed like like the um, the cast was also a fan. They were a fan of like the new wave rock scene, as well as you know what I mean, as well as a fan of the musical guests because it was reflective. And the sketches they put on, right? Yeah, a lot of punk rock sketches. You know, what what I hate about a lot of the sketches on SNL is when they'll, especially during the cheaper years, they would get a guest on, and they were just in something, and they're owned by that role, and then they do a sketch about it. That's gotta piss you off. I mean, they did, I fucking kid you not, three kung fu sketches with David Carradine, (laughs) and you can tell by the third one he's drunk off his ass. He doesn't give a shit. Like Chris Reeve had to do two Superman ones. That's lazy writing. And they never yeah. pull that with this show. I, I didn't see a single sketch, except I think maybe there was one Star Wars in the Mark Hamill episode. I can't remember if he was actually in that or it was just a Star Wars sketch. Now, see, it's I mean, you wonder if that's like, but if that's, you're playing to your audience, though. Does the audience want to see like a parody of what the guest is known for? I guess. You know? But it just seems like it's so obvious. They're not really trying. Right. It's, 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 so it's a tough line. You, you want to do something fresh and innovative, but then you also try and make, nail down ratings as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you could be so cutting edge where you're not getting the ratings and you're losing your audience. It won't be till decades later that your people discover how brilliant you were from the time, but that doesn't have to pay the bills. So it's you know it's a tough it's a tough line to walk. You know. So I'm looking at the cast here, and uh, the core cast uh, of all of them. The only person that broke out immediately was Mark Blankfield, who, after the show ended, did three or four movies that he starred in. Uh, I think the last time I saw him, though, was in um, Robin Hood, Prince of... No, what's the the parody called? Robin Hood, Men in Tights. He's uh, the blind guy. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. he was just one of those guys I thought was too big. He's too obvious in his jokes. And, I mean, he's a breakout star, but it was also the 80s, so Coke jokes were really easy to (laughs) to please people. Yeah, it's funny. He was married to one of the cast members as well. Um, who is he? What's, what's, what's her name? Jesus. 
Well, um, I'm looking here. Is it Mary, Mary Edith Burrell? I think she was the one with the red hair. And there's Millie Chardoff, who her. I know from Parker not, Lewis. Not her. Not, not her. Um, shit. It was the. It was. It was lady with the red hair. I can't remember her name. It was lady with the puffy red hair. What was her? Um, shit. That's weird. I'm looking right now through. Me, Brandis Kemp. Was that a, one of the other ladies? That's it. That's okay. it. That's it. That's her. Yeah, he was married to her for a while. I think got divorced in '87. But the, it's weird that those two were cast members and became like a long-term item, you know, for like yeah. You know, well, that, hap- that happens show. on SNL because Julie Louis Dreyfus and Brad Hall they met on the sh- no actually oh. they were they were in college together and then they worked on the show and then they've been married ever since. Right, that is true. That is true. Yeah. Uh, we have like I said, Millie Chardoff from Park Lewis Can't Lose, Miss Musso, the principal, who I absolutely love. Um, She's she's done like voice acting for like a lot of cartoons. Yeah, I think isn't she one of the Rugrats yeah, or something too? Yeah, yeah. And, you know. uh, and the most unlikely star, Larry David. <laughs> Who would have guessed? <laughs> His fro is ridiculous. <laughs> he, oh, of course, when they do a three studio, they do two uh, two three studios parodies. And of course, he's Larry from the Suits because who who else can play him right? with that hair? It's just like it's clearly balding and it's really long and curly and it just looks so cartoonish. But I'm going to tell you right now, and I think everybody would probably agree with me now that we've seen you know curb your enthusiasm. He's a pretty good actor. He was decent in the show back then too. A lot of times he played like uh, for certain sketches he played. He wasn't really playing a character; he's playing himself, which is pretty funny. But he was good. He was you know. He was, he did this one bit on like they also, you know, it's so weird that they always have to have like a, um, like a news desk. They always have to have, so they they had like their own news. They had their own weekend update called the, uh, the Friday edition, and he plays this one. Uh, he plays the one uh, co-anchor. He calls up uh, 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 Gaddafi, and he's like, "What do you mean you're not going to give me the scoop?" Wait, and he's like, "He's like peak Larry David." He's like, he's like playing, definitely playing. I curb your enthusiasm. I yeah. really curb your enthusiasm. And, and I, clearly, his voice is in the show. I think he's the punk rock of all of them. He His stuff isn't as yeah. big, you know, physically. He's not flailing his arms around, but he's digging in, and he's giving you something you've never seen in sketch comedy before. Yeah, he's definitely bring his own, like, um, whereas, like, the other cast members will do, like, the over-the-top, in-your-face kind of, like, uh, Flamboyant slapstick. He's he's definitely had. He's definitely giving it the the the, the cutting edge wit to it. You know. The uh, I was just thinking, like when he was hired on SNL a few years later, and it didn't work out. Like he only got one sketch on the entire year. How do? You, there's no way he was out of ideas. So whoever was running SNL at the time just didn't get him. Yeah, apparently they they after that show up the air, the um, Dick Ebersol invited all of them to become like you know to audition and become either. Uh, featured players or full full cast members, and uh, only like only he and him and Rich Hall are the only ones who took up the offer. Right? Right. Yeah, Rich Hall is a weird one because he, of all the comedians that have been on sketch comedy, I think he's been the most like individual. I never see him really work on pieces with someone else. Like when he would do the news bits on SNL, it was always him. And then he had that success on Showtime for years. I can't remember the name of the show. Yeah. But remember he the nigglets, it was his uh, catchphrase. Like um but he was always doing like these road single camera kind of shoots on his own and then he would send the pieces yeah, yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he's a very yeah, not talk about. yeah, very unique voice who I haven't seen in decades. Yeah, I don't know what he uh, I don't know what he's been up to <laughs> lately. I haven't seen him in what feels like forever. Yeah, for yeah. sure. 
Well, I think before he was he, on Fridays, though, or maybe it was between Fridays and SNL, he was on that British show, not necessarily the news. I think, or... Damn it, there's a one that was, was on BBC, yeah. but it also came over to HBO, and he was on that. You're right. I don't. I think, I think that might have been after Fridays. Okay. Maybe. But, I, um... Yeah, I'm kind of... Okay. Right now, I was going to say, their news segment, though, um is 10 times sharper than anything that was ever on SNL during those years. The new segment on SNL yeah. during the 80s was rough. Yeah, it's weird. Like, so, like, I guess at one point, all three, all, like, SNL, um, SCTV, and Fridays were probably, maybe in 1980, they were all in there at the same time. And they were all doing a news update segment. You know what I mean? Which is bizarre, because you, I, the way I see it, if you're doing socio-political humor, you really don't have to like do a news. Bit, you know what I mean? Right. Because you're kind of already doing something current and topical anyway. We're doing it in a sketch, but they all they all do a news sketch. And like um, Friday, the Friday version was more akin to what um, Saturday Night Live was doing um, at, the, at at the time. Whereas SUTVs was kind of more like it was like silly, like it was like fake uh, fake stories, right. like fictional little town. So at least they were kind of making it their own, you know. But yeah, the percentage, the percentage of jokes that Melanie Chartoff lands compared to SNL at that time, is way the ratio is way different. She lands probably seventy five percent of those jokes, whereas SNL was doing like fifteen percent. Oh man, when you see and, and, and who was it? It was uh, Joel. Uh, damn it, the older Joel, uh, Murray brother. Oh. Uh... Brian Doyle Murray? But yes, thank you. Brian Doyle Murray is the host, and he just blows it. It's it's, it's, it's like he has a certain sense of humor that's unique, mm-hmm. but it's not audience-friendly, if that makes sense. Yeah, you, ha- you, you kind of have to know your audience. I mean, yeah, well, no. Well, Norm didn't really, uh, but Norm was such a strong voice that it was hard to ignore what he was attempting to do. Yeah, he, he, he definitely made the Weekend Update his own. I, yeah, there's really no one, no one, no one could do it since. You know what I mean? He really. Yeah. You know what? I, I take that back because Dennis Miller kind of did his own thing too. That's true. But, yeah, but, yeah. But Norm, but Norm took took it a step further. The uh, the other cast members, John Rourke. Uh, the only thing I know him from is he's really known for doing uh, impersonations of presidential people because uh, I remember him from Naked Gun Two and a Half, where he's at the oh. luncheon with uh, Frank Drebin and he the lobster. I think uh, he throws up. I remember that incident, the real life incident, whatever. So that's basically all I know is he does that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, he does. I guess he does a, a part for the course, Ronald Reagan. Um, he he does a decent Bob Hope too. Yeah. You know, I mean, some of these sketches were. Uh, I mean, they're 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 a bit dated. You know what I mean? Because they do like the socio political humor. It's like they do with like, um, you know, the Sandinistas in El Salvador, and they do with the PLO in Palestine. So. But he does, yeah. He does this Bob Hope character that ends up going to like El Salvador somehow in a crate. It's, it's out there. He's always being Crosby. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, you know, that's uh, kind of funny. But he does, he, he does, he does a decent, decent Ronald Reagan. And culminating into the fact that they did like an 18 minute Rocky horror parody called the Ronnie Horror Picture Show. And it was, I mean, I mean, it was okay, but it just kind of went on. Oh no, that's a kind of what sketch. I almost always know one of his sketches because they're always too long. But they're really deep politically, yeah. so it's like if you're into that kind of stuff, if you're a guy who reads Doonesbury, <laughs> you're gonna love it. Yeah, I mean, and and for that matter, they're all very theatrical. You could tell they're all they're all classically theater trained. Yeah, you know, they're all doing musical numbers. Maybe they they all don't have like 
the comedic acting chops, like as maybe as like like Larry David, but they're all they all come from a theater background. Right. Usually, so. What, what drove me nuts is it's the same curse with SNL. Um, they'd have the token black member, but they don't know how to use mm-hmm. him, and they don't apparently give. It, I don't know what it is. Dara Ingus is, uh, I guess, was uh, the sole I black guess. member of the cast, and he is wasted. I just like we need just another person. Fuck it, go ahead, go in. That has to feel terrible. Yeah, he was so. It, the only the really thing they gave him that I could see that was a reoccurring character was like the Rastafarian uh, thing that they did, which is kind of cheap and lazy. I yeah. Mean, like, no, yeah, I get it. He's always looking for an excuse to smoke weed. And that's another thing. There's a lot of like drug, <laughs> overt drug, uh, <laughs> drug references and drug abuse, like like drug abuse simulation on the show. Uh-huh. Like the snorting of the cocaine, smoking a pot, taking a quaalude. Uh, they have this. Um, had this pharmacist who's like who's like and, and like he speaking of Darius, he plays like repair me. He's like, hey, hey, hey man, you need to quit uh you need to quit cutting in your profits like the way a drug dealer would. He's you know, kind of a social commentary on how pharmacists are like legal drug dealers. Yeah, yeah. Still still the problem going into today. And he's always like, you know, high. He's always popping pills and he's always high. There are always all these drug references scattered throughout the show. Well, I think that's probably what hurt the show because throughout the the run of the series, numerous affiliates would drop them based on certain sketches. Like I think originally they got a big uh, drop on them with uh, there's a cannibal sketch that they did, which was completely yeah, so silly. I, I saw. Yeah. Was yeah. Just about just about to mention that he said the whole scenario. So initially, um, so some affiliates wouldn't air air uh, air the program after the third episode because of the cannibal diner sketch. And it's like, and due, due to other objectionable content like uh, gore, disgusting habits, they like like the spitting, uh, like the spitting girls or something, and blasphemous humors, like with like this, uh, so like these inflatable nuns. Yeah, like, well, know. I mean, they also like the back then were still extremely homophobic, and they had some sketches. Yes, yeah, some of them were a little like, ooh, that's a little too uh, uh, cliche stereotyping, but some seemed like they were a little more progressive mm-hmm. when it came to attitudes of gay people. And I'm sure a lot of the states, like in the you know, the Bible Belt, probably dumped the show. Yeah, it's when I was watching this one, um, this one sketch where these uh, these these guys are all playing poker. These girls knock on the door because like, the guys have their wives all out, like watching movies or whatever. These girls are like, "Hi, how are you doing? Are you watching?" Like, no, they're out watching movies. Like, okay, hi, we're whores, and uh, <laughs> here's our here's our price listing. And then they're all like, they're in inter- all the guys in their monologue. I was reading the things. So, I can't have sex with random like these guys. I mean. What if I don't do well? Or what if what if they laugh at me? Or what if I'm gay? And they all they all three of them had the same thing. What if I'm gay? You know what I mean? <laughs> if they have, I mean, they're obviously married. So why would you? <laughs> I mean, it's such such a bizarre concept. Yeah, but, but the whole show is always testing to see what they get away get away with. But I I, I understand why I was a cult following, but why it never truly hit you know the ground running for ABC. Um, before I, we discuss the end of the show, uh, I wanted to say the other team member that uh, people might know is Bruce Mahler, who was in, I think, three police academies. Um, yep. That clueless and uh, guy who, I, I, honestly, I love him. I absolutely love him in that series because he always causes chaos, but he doesn't know he's causing chaos. Yeah, when I was watching, I was like, I know this guy. So where do I know? Because I've been seeing police academies forever. It's not something I really watch. You know what I mean? Sadly, I, I do stuff. on a regular, like a yearly basis. <laughs> I just got done watching the first one again. But I did, after, after I saw him, like, what else? He's like, oh, that's where I know the guy from, Police Academy. Was, you know what I mean? There's no way that would have been on my 
instant recall because like unlike you i haven't seen it forever you know yeah it's uh so we already discussed a few reasons why the show fell apart but there's also a very infamous episode with andy kaufman that turned into a disaster i haven't seen i couldn't find the sketch but i remember it from the movie and i remember seeing it before but is he basically gets into uh, a fight with michael richards correct so yes so i i have seen the sketch and then um so apparently what they do to a lot of sketches they'll have like somebody uh explain the premise before they do it which i think is a weird thing to do before before a sketch anyway but the one actually so apparently everyone's going to go to the bathroom uh individually going to get stoned unbeknownst to each other and come back and then they're going to be really hungry and order the food so then any coffee comes up he's like i can't i can't <laughs> i can't uh and they're like well, what can't you do honey they're all still trying to remain in character and he's like oh, i can't uh the guy can't act i can't act stoned yeah, it's stupid. It's silly. I can't. And then he's like, ah, oh. he's like, and he's like, and he goes, I'm sorry, everybody. It's just, yeah, this is we're all having fun. It's just for fun, right? It's we're all having fun here, you know. And he's like breaking character, breaking the breaking the fourth wall. And um, then so then Michael Richards comes and he, and he drops the cue cards uh, right in front of him. And then he, you know, and he like, he goes, oh, what the hell, dude? And then throws water on him, and then they like, you know. And then actually he gets in a fight with like not Michael Richards, but like one of the. Um, I guess I guess it's maybe it's Jack Burns or one of the producers, but the fight seemed fake. It didn't seem I know, like that's why I, I remember. Like, it seemed like it was just another one of his uh, put-ons. So, so then I kept trying to research: is this real? Was this a real thing, or was this manufactured? And then later on, he because he hosts, uh, um, he comes back on, on Fridays, and it, it it was it was it was set up. Not everybody, however, not everybody in the cast. And uh, production knew that it was. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? And yeah. then, and then it's it's funny. So he's he's on with John Moffat, the producer. Did he give an apology? And he's like, you know, this ruined it for a while. Nobody was talking to me. Everybody's mad at me for doing this. And he's like, so he's, he's attempting to give his apology. He's like, and then again, he's like, you know what? I can't. I can't do this. <laughs> he's not doing the same thing as he did in the sketch. He's like, I can't. I can't. This is silly. I can't do this. I can't do this apology. It's just, you know what I mean? So he's just like recreating the same. Yeah, always fucking with people, and you know, even when he came yeah. on, like I've seen the second episode where he came on with his new wife, and they're singing this peaceful mm -hmm. song, and I'm like, what is? Oh, he's fucking with us again. That's what it is. He's always well, putting us on. Well, even before like he did the, the sketch that like that he like that he um, sabotaged that 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 drug uh, pharmacist character, like you know, before after that sketch, but before they brought on the pretenders, he's like. Uh, like, well, first, let me say something about that last sketch. You, you shouldn't take uh, drugs to hide your problems. And then, like, he was supposed to introduce the band. And then they opened up the curtain. He's like, well, hold, close the curtain. They're, they're not going to come on. Wait, wait, I need to say this. So they closed the curtain for the band that was supposed to come on. And he was like, you know, you shouldn't, we should all just embrace the pain. You shouldn't do the, these drugs to numb the pain. You should, you know, this is, this is that. And then he was like, Apparently, I've gone on too long, so they have to go to commercial. So they'll have to go to the band afterwards. The audience is like booing them. <laughs> just, you know. Do you think just, he's dead? You know what? Or do you think this is another put on? Do you think that he just got sick of it and walked away permanently? <laughs> the, the ultimate long troll, right? It's yeah. Like, <laughs> no, but he was he was a troll before there's such a, such a term existed. You know what I mean? They they, they call it, they call it performance uh, performance art, but he was basically a troll. He's basically trolling. Yeah. It's it's truly it's impressive and shocking, but he seemed like he was just so complicated. Yeah. 
I mean, he was just, you know, he was constantly in search for his next kind of like his next, you know, shock and all, you know, uh, moment, you know? Yeah. He was, uh, he, he was, he, he lived to be like trending. He lived, he lived, you know, I mean, he was, he was before that existed, before there such thing was a viral, that he was, that, that was, he was, he was trying to get the next news cycle. Yeah. It's like when I think about, uh, Sasha Barrett Cohen or punked and stuff like that, he was there first doing these crazy, crazy character pieces. Yeah, no, he was definitely whether even like you know, Sasha Baron Cohen, I'm sure was will cite him as direct influence. But even even other things like punk, etc., they probably don't even realize that that. They're True. Influence. Yeah. Do you think like Tom Green must have? There's must be some, Tom Green. Oh, must for have sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Tom, Tom Green is like is probably the, definitely the, the heir apparent to Andy Kaufman and then by later extension uh, Sasha Baron Cohen for sure. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's sad that the show didn't last very long, but uh, with all the controversy and affiliates dropping them, uh, it became an issue at the end because they decided that Fri- uh, not Fridays, uh, Nightline was going to be expanded, and so they moved it yeah. back. And and people, frankly, at midnight, it's like a death set. I mean, that's what happened to Conan. You move him back, he's done. It's it's going to kill the show. Yeah. And I think like the running time went from seventy minutes to ninety minutes. It was, you know what I mean. Oh, that's too much. I mean, that's what hurts the yeah. SNL sometimes. You got to have like thirty cast members and writers to come up with, yeah. you know, ten good sketches. Right, and it's got to be sharp. Another thing with some of these sketches is they don't like, like it, it, the good thing about SNL sketches, they end, and you when you and you and you know they end, you know it's over. They they, they kind of wrap it up in an info. A lot of these, I mean, not all of them on SNL were, were, were perfect. Some of them were stinkers. They didn't end well. But, like, a lot of these sketches almost seemed open-ended. It was like a half-day concept. And it just didn't, you know, even, even though it came to fruition in the form of a sketch, it didn't, didn't really have a clear ending. It wasn't written yeah. well. You know, it wasn't established. At least it wasn't delivered well enough for the audience to, to see, you know what I mean? So, so you know. did you happen to watch the short film I shot yesterday and posted? No, uh, where did you post it on? I I posted it on my Facebook, but I had no ending. It was a spoof of how some sketch shows have no ending, and they just kind of go, ah, we're done. And uh, I don't think yeah. anybody got the joke. I don't think anybody got it. And uh, uh, sometimes my humor is just too d- deeply entrenched in pop culture references. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, some, some things you have to explain to the audience ahead of time. And that was like, maybe that's one of the failings. I know. But... I, what's so bizarre about, about, about this, this, this show is like, a lot of times they explain the premise. They had an announcer explain the premise. And it still would kind of like fall short. Yeah, though, I don't you know, like you're... explaining it, though. It just drives me nuts when I have yeah. to. And I've been, shoot, well, I've been shooting yeah. a sketch every single day and posting it. And two or three times I've had, oh, okay, here's a, this is why the joke works. I have to explain this. And so... Yeah, truthfully, I go on um, Facebook like once a month. Oh, okay. Mystery um, Science Theater it, used to do that. They would have references that no one got, but that's kind of what the charm of the show is. For everyone that was mainstream joke, they'd have two or three that were inside kind of low-level jokes. Right. Little, little inside baseball. Yeah. It, uh, it's a well, shame yeah. that the show ended, though, but uh, there is a collection out there. But I'm kind of surprised. It must be music rights that's the problem because Shout Factory put out a collection, but it's only 18 episodes when there's what? Sixty episodes, I think. Yeah. Oh no. So so okay. So they have a total of fifty-eight. Fifty-eight episodes, almost okay. sixty, pretty much. Yeah. Like, the first season, the first season, they like they were a mid-season replacement. So they had about twelve episodes. They're on from like April, July, and then the second season, they had, uh, you know it was a full uh, full twenty-five, and the third uh, two episodes short for another twenty-one. 21 episodes. I can't so, believe they thought putting it in primetime was going to help. Did they not watch the show beforehand? I mean, that there's so many drug references. Come on. And like, oh, like not just drug references, but drug simulations. 
smoking pot, yeah. snorting coke. You know what I mean? It was just like it was. <laughs> I even it's weird. It's it's like because I always think of it the early '80s as kind of a prudish time as far as you know, drugs are today. But like, but you, I don't think you can get away with the same kind of references today on any kind, even on SNL. I don't think at, at its current time slot, yeah. I don't think you can get away with the same kind of drug references. Yeah, and then so you, you neuter the show. You take away – you're trying to make a show that's kind of edgy and trying to make it mainstream for a primetime audience. You screw the show instantly. You know, two, two things that two, – two sketches that Friday did, which I thought were kind of neat, kind of a little, little ahead of its time, where they, they, they do break the fourth wall where they have like um, – one where they're talking about the girl about Tooth Fairy. He's like, well, no, the Tooth Fairy is not. She asked if the Tooth Fairy is real. Like, no, it's not real. In fact, I'm an actor. <laughs> She's an actor. And this is a set. Watch, he just throws, <laughs> throws the chair through like a fake wall. And then another one, um, I think uh, Larry David and, and this other, uh, I can't remember the other person it was at the time, but they were like realtors. They're trying to sell them the, uh, these people this house. And they're like, and Michael Richards like, I keep hearing this rumbling. What's that? Like, oh. so, yeah, so like, yeah, it's, it was, it was kind of uh, you know, and then that's like the audience gets to be in, in, yeah. on, in on the sketch itself, which is kind of cool. You know? There's a there's one sketch that tests your patience, but when the the punchline hits, it's so good. But it has these guys in cloaks, and they're like in this little lair, and they're all like, "We are the people who say mm, after every word, mm, yes." Mm, and it, it's like two minutes of that, and it's like, "God damn, how are you gonna keep doing this? This isn't funny." Because they keep saying mm, after every word, and Larry David all of a sudden just goes, "Why the hell are we doing this?" And they're like, "What?" Mm. And he goes, "Do you really need to say that after every word?" Is, is this something that we have to do? Can we do it like every third word? Every fourth? Oh, how about this? How about not at all? Because it's stupid. <laughs> just like, just that's the kind of humor he would have, just decrypting these little things. I love it. Yeah. No, that's, that's like, like that's typical, typical Larry David. Yeah. That's like, you know, it's like, it's like him you know, on uh, Kirby Enthusiasm. Like, yeah, I get one of those uh, little vanilla bullshits. You know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I apparently on the new season, he decides to wear, wear a Mer- Make America Great Again hat just to get people to leave him alone. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. Like, in like, uh, conservatives like, thought like he was, they thought, oh, he gets it. He's all boys. No, he's, yeah. <laughs> he's doing it because he wants to be antisocial the way you, you, you actually are if you wear such a hat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, if I see one now, I'm like, yeah, I don't need to go that way at all. That's a. Uh, uh, go, yeah, just ignore this person exists. Just keep moving. You know, and but but like, and that's that's an obvious thing. But I mean, you really, really any kind of political slogan, maybe with the exception of something that promotes social justice. That's right. I mean, if you're talking but about like, hey, let's save the planet. Good. Thank right. you. But it, even if it's like a, a liberal candidate and you're wearing a, a slogan on your shirt, well, come on. You're trying yeah, to provoke. You just, you're but yeah, I, you know what's funny exactly, is I haven't exactly. seen I haven't seen anything yet for Biden and Harris. Uh, all the Bernie stuff's kind of gone. And I think it's because well, also it's the city I live in. Is uh, a lot of the right wingers are really trying to provoke. They want a fight. They want to see those signs. They start a fight. And a lot of us have lives, and we don't want to deal with this bullshit. We have fucking jobs and families and things we want to take care of. I don't have the patience to argue with you and your dumbass shit. So no, I'm not going to promote. It, it's my own business. I don't understand why they need to shove it up your ass everywhere they go. Yeah. See, the difference is having like political content on uh, TV. You know, it's like it's you're not really having like direct you know direct rebuttal of conversation. We do it on like a sketch show like this. It's like. It's in humor. You can either have a sense of humor about it or you don't, but you have the choice not to watch it. But in real life, you, then you, you come to a, you come to the uh, you come to the, uh, the crossroads. Or either you're going to lead a horse to water, you know what I mean? Right, or you're going to start a fight. Yeah. Or you're, 
Yeah, or you're preaching to the choir. I mean, yeah. but is that is that the intent? What's what's the point? What, what do you what's the what's the message trying to convey with with this political bumper sticker? Right. You know. Well, oh, speaking of bumper stickers, <clears throat> I've always noticed the higher the amount of bumper stickers on your car, the lower your IQ tends to be. It's almost like a ninety percent pot. You know. <laughs> True. Yeah, I, I, I guess it depends on the topic, but for sure, yeah. Yeah, but through media, through movies and TV shows, you can get ideas across. And in good sketch comedy, always pokes bo- uh, fun at everybody. Don't tell me it's all one sided. Yeah. If you watch the history of SNL, they poke fun at everybody. Yeah, especially like in uh, Fridays when they're like making fun of like uh, like like Reagan's tax plan. Right, and they make fun of Jimmy Carter. Has to and that and that current that is that's topical today because that's still what we want to do. We're always trying to rich are always for these tax tax breaks. And everyone's always trying to give these tax breaks, not not really realizing that it's only benefits a portion of society. You know, it, it benefits, it'll, it'll benefit a portion of society longer than it'll benefit other portions of society. Right. So you know, whereas you know. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this. I highly recommend Fridays. There's tons of episodes on YouTube. Yeah, this was tough for me to research because there was just so much. There was way more. It was way, even though it was only three seasons, 58 episodes is hard for me to watch. 58 hour and a half long episodes. Right, right. It just wasn't really possible. So I just kind of like just, just looked some of the best known sketches. Yeah, I watched about 10 episodes. I, I picked a few from each year to watch. Uh, the musical guest was interesting. I definitely watched it. Um, it was easier to get through than I think the first, like I said, I said it already, but the first uh, seven or eight years of SNL. Uh, you really just grab a couple, you're good. You got the point, and it's just weird. But that's what the ep- next episode is going to be, is we're going to discuss what is considered the lost years of SNL, which is 1980 through 84, uh, before... Uh, wait, hold on a second. 80, uh, yeah, so um, 1980 through 83, 84, whatever, the kind of forgotten years, because all it was is Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo that people were talking about. Then 84 gets weird is because that's when they started spending all the money. 84, 85, 85, 86 is when they decided, let's let's open the checkbook and pay these people huge amounts of money because there's more stars. I think that's probably an attempt to keep them from, like, going off to do films and keeping keeping them on the show longer. Yeah. You know? So those are that's gonna be the next episode we're gonna discuss. Uh, I'll I'll throw you some uh, if you can't find anything on uh, YouTube, I'll give you some episodes from those years so you can get an idea because this is a heavy cast change too during those four years. We're gonna burn through people. Yeah, and, then, and that like what I mean this is this is a different different era, but like part of the reason why Fridays took off in '81 is because of the cast change in SNL. Yeah, you couldn't lock on to anybody. The only person who stuck. Fortunately like, for us. Yeah, good. Yeah, fortunately for SNL, they had no competition. You know what I mean? After Fridays left, so they were kind yeah. of like, you know. Well, even when there was competition football. later, it's on cable. It's it's Kids in the Hall. And then uh, we didn't have to face anything serious in late night sure. until Mad TV because uh, there was other sketch shows, but they were all primetime. Right. Yeah, true. So that's what we'll do next. We'll do the, the lost years of SNL. And uh, everybody, have a good night. Check us out on Facebook under Hit Rewind Podcast. Tony, thank you very much. My pleasure. Do 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 do. I have no end. Boop. Everybody, welcome to Stumbling Towards Adulthood live and in concert, sort of. 
Uh, I am your host, Michael, and my co-host this week are my two oldest friends, Ron and Robert. How are you guys doing? Yeah, good, good. <laughs> so I said live and in concert, but here's the thing. is We've been playing this episode for a year now. We want it to be part of last season, and uh, we were talking about... The whole show is basically like either talking about pop culture and connecting to youth or just adventures of our like high school and junior high years. And we were talking about the concerts that we went to, and I was like, that would make a great episode. And here we are, a year later, <laughs> able to get all of us together. Well, not all of us. Sadly, Dave was not able to join us, which is kind of a bummer. But I'll take what I can get. So, what's that? Yeah. You gotta do what you gotta do. He's working. Yeah, and uh, that's the truth of all. That's why it took Sadly. us so long. It's so hard for all of us to get in one place. And that's not technically true because I'm still on the other side of the country. Yeah. <laughs> well, close enough. All right. So um, we'll try to go in chronological order. So you guys actually started going to concerts before I did. I was actually not really allowed. Plus, it was very expensive for most of the concerts that I wanted yeah. to go to. What were the first concerts that you guys went to? Oh. <laughs> um... The first one back I can remember is Damn Yankees. Which one was first? Poison? And. It. Uh... We went to Damn Yankees twice, and there was a three for concerts, both of them. One was Damn Yankees, Firehouse, and uh, Poison. Poison. Wow. And then and there was Damn Yankees, Slaughter, and Jackal! I remember yes. guys going, I was going to go to that one with you guys, but I just couldn't get the money together. Uh, that would have been a great concert. A lot of these bands really hold up, and it's kind of surprising that the best you ever hear from them is, oh, they did a short reunion tour. And of course, Poison is constantly out on tour. They go out like once every couple years. But I wonder whatever happened to like Slaughter and Jackal and Firehouse. I, Dan Yankees was a super group, correct? Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I can see yes, and we actually saw them. When they still had uh, Teddy Nugent with them. Sweaty Teddy. <laughs> Sweaty Teddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I can see why that band would break up, because that seemed like supergroups always seem to be a temporary thing. As long as they're selling, they stay together, but the minute it starts to flutter a little bit, they're like, oh, we're gone, we're out. But uh, yeah, Ted, Ted had the good end of that deal. The other two tried, on, tried it on their own. What were they called? Like, I don't even remember, actually. Anyway. My, no, that was something Supposedly, they are working on a new album to come out later this year, I believe. Okay. Like, everyone? Damn Yankees, yeah. The original. Nah. Yeah. That's uh, what happens when you listen to Hair Nation. <laughs> For uh, people who don't know who Jackal is, they kind of were a gimmick band in the way they sounded, but they were actually a really good band. But their gimmick was they used a chainsaw as a musical instrument. And as a 15-year-old yes. boy, that was the most amazing thing you could ever see. You're like, hold on a second, they're using what? <laughs> <laughs> now, did they it's even better in concert, because you get up and you see, like, he's ripping into a stool and just tearing things up. I'm like, oh, this is so much better than the CD. Yeah, they were kind of a one-hit wonder. Was it but, tapes them? Yeah, they were a one-hit wonder, and I remember they had a second hit, uh, well, a minor hit, uh, The Sun Shining Down on Me, and I watched that video over and over yeah. and over. Um, I don't know if you guys remember this, but I used to have a subscription that would get rock videos, like a VHS of like 12 rock videos every single month. Do you remember that? I remember that. That's how yeah. I learned about Dream Theater from you, from that. Right. 
But uh, that video, uh, right. they had Jackal on there. And this is right as hair metal was kind of dying out and grunge was taking over. So it was like the perfect mesh. And I would watch those videos until they wore out. <laughs> I don't even know what happened to them. I think I just ended up throwing them away because they got destroyed. Didn't they used to have a station that played videos all the time? <laughs> yeah, I think it was, oh it was in music, music, <laughs> film, music, film, something. I don't know. Oh, man. Okay, so uh, what was your first exposure to, like, hard rock and heavy metal? Um, I grew up around country. I think heavy metal, I mean, I was into some metal growing up, you know, obviously Leonard Skinner and, you know, the old 70s bands and what have you, but um, when it came to modern heavy rock, it probably didn't happen until high school. I started hanging out with the guys who were heavy into, oh, shoot, think, Ron, think. Well, Metallica, Megadeth, uh, Testament, some other, to name a few. Um, I, I, I went off the heavy metal deep end, my freshman year, I think. Yeah, I, uh, I remember it was kind of a different... Uh, Robert, you were more of like the hard rocker kind of guy, like ACDC and Van Halen, uh, guys that usually ended up in the top 40 if they had like a couple hits. And I remember when Ron, I started um, like checking out your music collection, I'd see like the typical ones, like stuff that Robert would have, and then I was like, oh wait, who's this? Who's Man of War? Who's Testament? Who is, you know, like... Yeah. Yeah, I was getting kind of heavy on that. Yeah, and, uh, I... <laughs> Yeah, I was into most of the, you know, the, I guess you'd call it mainstream heavy metal, and then Ron got me into, you know, the, the other heavier stuff, the, uh, um... Testament, Anthrax, Manowar is another one yeah. of my favorite, all-time favorites, just that, that epic rock <laughs> that tells us Celtic... Yeah, the, uh, the falsetto always threw me off. I've never been a fan of power metal. Uh, I do enjoy some Iron Maiden, but a lot of that power metal where they go like really high pitched and see how, how how long they can hold it, it's impressive. But for me, listening to it, I don't really get into it. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> we used to joke. I used to come out of the house going "Run to the hills," and then like I want to pass out. It takes so much lung power to hit those notes. I think a lot of those rockers were pretty big guys. Yeah, I mean, it takes some serious lungs. The guys from Manowar, I think, were like big, muscle-bound gym guys. You know, they were... Uh... Your typical Viking-looking guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, it helps with the theme. The uh, So, I, I when I was a kid, I mostly listened to, like, Top 40 Rock, and I never really bought any, like... Uh, I, I had one Van Halen record, I had, like, one Billy Idol, and... Uh, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, Motley Crue, and that was about it. It wasn't until around 1990 I had heard Cherry Pie. Now, I know the song is mocked endlessly now, but when you're 13, that's the most amazing song ever. And that kind of opened the door, and then Tony Fairchild, like, let me borrow a few tapes. But it wasn't until I started hanging around with you guys that I, like, okay, now i got to dive into the catalog of what is out there in this genre. Yes. Well, I'll tell you, Warren is awesome in concert. Did you, you guys went and saw Warren? I saw Warren. I don't know about Robert. I, I never did, but I know Ronnie had. So I went with my, uh, you remember Glenn? I went with him right. to uh, Pierre's. I think they were at Pierre's. It was awesome. Oh, yeah. Uh, so there's only two ways to really see concerts in Fort Wayne. At least there was then. There was the Coliseum for the huge bands, which I think most of the shows you guys went to were there, correct? Yes. Yep. 
And Piers is kind of... Piers is weird because they have a comedy club across the way. Like, you just literally go across the parking lot to the um, Snickers Comedy Club, and then you come yeah. over to the other side, mm-hmm. and then they have Piers, where they have the performance hall, but they also have, like, line dancing, and they have sports bar. It's a it's a strange amalgam, but if you live in Fort Wayne, Indiana, it's pretty much the only safe place to go to hang out. Yeah. It's because it's on the ritzy end of town. <laughs> that, that or the mall. You got that at the mall. That's about it. Right. Um... Do you remember? That's, who knows? That's, there was a radio. So I saw show three, doors, three doors down there too. Yeah, I remember that. I was supposed to go to that, and then I was supposed to go to Harvey Danger, but that's when I got hurt really bad, and I couldn't go anywhere. Um, <sighs> Suck. Yeah, and now I can never see them because they broke up. A lot of these bands that we saw sadly have broken up, so it's it's kind of nice that you have that memory of going to concerts. I go to concerts now, but they're kind of like um, I went and saw Foreigner. Uh, I went saw Rick Springfield. You know, I see them at the casino where it's really safe and everything. But everybody holds their phone up now. They're constantly taking <laughs> pictures. Whatever happened to using your memory? <laughs> so uh, many people don't even know what that is anymore. Yeah. Or the, the, we, there's one thing that did change. They use their phones instead of lighters. I don't know how many accidents probably happened with lighters. Just, uh, whoop, your hair, your hair just went... <laughs> A lot of people don't carry lighters anymore because you don't. You're not allowed to smoke half the places anymore, so they don't carry lighters. Oh, did they I'm smoke okay at some that. of the concerts you went to? Oh yeah. I didn't know. Oh that. yeah. I for some reason thought that they didn't. I mean, I can see smoking like some of the green back in the day, like sneak that into the concert. But I didn't know you could just openly smoke a cigarette at the concert. Well, I'm about to call CM. I honestly can't remember, but I do remember Pierre's. Obviously, was oh thick with smoke. Now, you guys remember the radio station had a show on Fridays. It was on for about four hours, and it was all, like, hard rock and metal. Do you remember that at all? Yep, I was in it several times. Were you? I didn't know that. Was that before you were in the radio program, or was that, uh, like, your freshman year? I think it was freshman year. Okay. I was there, too, but that wasn't part uh, of it. Kurt, (laughs) Kurt and I did a bunch of stuff. On, on late nights there. Okay. Yeah, I remember there was that show, but then those two kids got kicked off because they did some sort of bomb hoax on a teacher. They put something in his mailbox, if I'm remembering correctly. It was so long ago. But... Oh, yeah. We name names, but we won't. We yeah, won't name yeah. names. <laughs> well, I couldn't remember their names if I tried, but that was another door that all of a sudden you're sitting there like, of course, I was a nerd. I didn't really have a whole lot of friends. And Friday nights, I'm sitting at home alone, you know, just sitting in my room listening to metal. And it was a bummer when that show went out, but it was pretty cool the next year, though, that you and I, uh, when I say you and I, I mean Robert, were in the radio class the next year, and that's when we started getting involved. What is the content going on to the station? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ron, did you, yep. Did were you ever in radio? I don't recall if you were. Uh, Tim and I did a show for movie reviews, but other than that, um, that didn't last very long. Okay. But there were, you know, unofficially... I may or may not have been in there. <laughs> you used to visit. You used to be like a contributor on our show when I, me and Aaron Holly had a show. And, yeah. Uh, Robert, I can't remember. Who did you have your show with? Um, Pretty much, I think the only one I had that wasn't with you in it was uh, with uh, Kurt Winkleman. Okay, yeah, because I remember that at one point Kurt was like in three shows at once, and I think some of the parents complained. So, um, I know the whole schedule got changed up. I ended up going on, like, Thursdays with Aaron Hawley. No, Tuesdays with Aaron Hawley. 
and I wasn't even supposed to be there. Uh, somehow, um, I don't want to name names, but someone came in a little intoxicated and decided that uh, he was going to change everything up. He got <laughs> mad at us. He kicked us all out or whatever. And the next day he came in, and all of a sudden I had a show. And I'm like, yep, I'm not going to argue with this whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was an interesting night. Well, yeah, who that would be. <clears throat> anyway. That's when you and I were listening. I believe we were listening to Kiss backwards, trying to find a message in there. We never found anything. <laughs> I loved being able to go in there and into the production studio and record that stuff and then flip it around and that was fun. Yeah, I, we were, we were always working on projects together. Uh, I mean, not the fact that we already knew each other for years. We always had like a good um, work chemistry. Like we knew what how the project would need to go or whatever. And uh, it was kind of a shame that we never actually got around to doing any of the episodes live together. Yeah. <laughs> It really sucked that I lived so far out of town. Yeah, that was a bummer. It, it wasn't definitely. until senior year that we were able to get you on a regular basis. Did that make it hard right. to get to concerts? Oh, I had, well, I had you and I had Robert. <laughs> I think most of the concerts I went to, Robert was involved or Dave was involved. And looking back, I could, I would do it all differently. I would have gotten my license a lot earlier, but I didn't need to, you know? Right. Well, you it's guys also expensive. Much, so. I didn't get mine till senior year. I think Robert, you got yours like a year or two before us. You, you, it was like the minute you hit sixteen, you got your license, I think. And I didn't get mine till I was almost eighteen. Yeah, I, yeah, that happened because I was expected to run my younger brothers around to all their sporting events and stuff for my parents. That happens. That's. that's why, I, I think that's why I got my license. Honestly, I think it was because well, my sister's in high school now, and she needs a ride. I'm like. Okay, well, I'll take it. <laughs> I want to drive. <laughs> but getting to concerts was always kind of an issue, too, not just the money and uh, may or may not be questionable band to go see. Uh, to get back on track, though, what were some of the other bands you saw in high school? Robert. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow, a lot of country. <laughs> did you, did you uh, see uh, Billy Ray Cyrus? No. Oh, no. I want you to tell me that story and be like, yeah, it was that one song, and then the rest of the concert, we were all bored. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't say yeah. he'd be bored. He'd probably put on an interesting show, but... <laughs> That's the weird thing. Uh, I've seen some of these bands that had, like, one hit, because you could tell the general audience was just waiting for it. You're just like, um... All right, it'll come up here any day now. Where's that one song that I know? And then it, when, the, when it's over, all of a sudden it's like, you should probably wind it up, get to the next band, because it's done for you, buddy. We're done. We're done. <laughs> Do you guys hear crickets? No. <laughs> <clears throat> Did you guys go see Def Leppard, or am I thinking of the wrong person? I wish. I've, I've seen them twice in like the last five years, but I never saw them in high school. Yeah, I didn't get to see any of those bands. The first concert that I went to, um, I believe it was me, you. Uh, when well, I gotta stop seeing you, because that mean it could be either one of you, me, Ron, <laughs> and somebody else who I cannot remember this name. I think it was Tom. We went to the Alternative Fest. It was Cracker, The Herb. Yes. And then some band that, that was like obviously local, because there was like six people who knew every single word, and the rest of us were completely lost as to who they were. We're like, uh. Yeah, I guess these are guys that are the local Let's just jump. What's that? I said, it's got a good beat. Let's just jump. Oh, and the verb pipe. <laughs> Speaking of one hit. The verb pipe. The verb pipe. 
which it confused This was my first. Because there was the Go verb, ahead. and then there was the verb pipe at the same time, and everybody got really confused on who who we were seeing. This was my first. It was a cheap ticket, wasn't it? It was like four bucks or something like that. Yeah, but uh, well, I think the station was ninety six point three or something like that. And it was like nine dollars and sixty three cents to see the the bands. Right. And I, I, I think it's funny how uh, lazy and tired I was. It was only, what, at best, a three-hour concert. By the end, my feet were aching so bad that I sat on the cement for the last <laughs> bit of the concert. I was like, I can't stand anymore. I don't think I don't know how I found the energy to keep doing This was my first exposure to ska. And I thank you so much for bringing me to that concert because that was excellent. I forgot. That's why we were but, tired. I forgot we were jumping up and down. We were pogoing like crazy. Time. Yep. The <laughs> that's why I was like, could I really have been that tired? <laughs> so the next day at school, did your legs feel like jelly? Because I, I can't feel mine. <laughs> yeah. What I think is funny about a lot of the concerts back in the day or, or jobs. Uh, nowadays, of course, we do it to pay the bills, feed our kids, you know, pay the rent, stuff like that. Back then, it was like, well, I'm going to go work for a couple weeks at this place, just get enough money for this concert or this video game or whatever. Uh -huh. I, I wonder if people actually did that. They're just like, oh, this is just for concert money, and then they quit the next week. I didn't have any video game consoles in high school, so it was all concerts for me. Yeah. Concerts and CD, or no, I'm sorry. This is going to date us, I guess, but audio cassettes. Um <laughs> We eventually got into CDs, I think. But The cassette collection. Uh, for anybody who doesn't remember, cassettes was necessary for any vehicle because nobody had a CD player. At best, you had the CD player you could plug in, but it skipped every time you hit a bump and you just spend the entire day going, oh, it's taking us 12 hours to get through one song. Yeah. Well, even if you could afford the in dash CD player, it as well skipped every bump you hit because they yeah. sucked. That but... or it was stolen. I can't recall how many people I would hear. Yeah, my speakers were stolen. Oh, my bass was stolen. Oh, my sound system was stolen. You know, it's just, it seemed like a thing. Going around like crazy. I remember speaking of, that was the big thing in high school. I don't know, it probably still is, obviously, but we're just too old to want to hear that loud of music anymore. But <laughs> our friend Kevin, he had, a, he had a sound system in his little place. It was the... Be all end all sound system is to me, but it was in a little Plymouth Horizon. But you know, you drive what you can afford, right? Yeah, <laughs> so we took this. Our drive-in theater has an FM. For those who don't know, I have an FM uh, transmitter or just gotten it, whatever. So we were enjoying Jurassic Park, <laughs> and we're sitting there. I'm sitting there in the front seat. I got my you know, leg leg up on my knee, and I've got my foot touching the dash in that scene in the in Jurassic where. Everybody be quiet. You feel that? And there's the glass sitting on the dash, and it rumbles. You can see the little ripples in the water. And his whole car shook. <laughs> now that is 4D, baby. <laughs> yeah, that's the funniest thing is when uh, when people would buy sound systems that were obviously more expensive than their car. You, you start right. As you got older, you're like, man, priorities are a little messed up there. You should probably skew it the other direction. Yeah. His car never died, at least that I know of, so <laughs> I guess that's a good thing. I've, uh, uh, I remember when Dave got a sound system around 96, and uh, it would make your feelings rattle. You couldn't tell what anybody was saying, but you could feel the bass, and I think I've lost a couple inches of, like, uh, you know the little tissue that goes between each piece of your vertebrae? I think, I think yeah. part of it's gone now. <laughs> I remember, 
I think his mom lost a dish rag that year because we had to put it between the car and the license plate to keep it from going. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> Can you do that again? <laughs> oh, that's what's how it was constantly sound like you had a werewolf like a following your car. It's like there's a monster back there. I know it. I just know it. Uh, so uh, for me, yeah. So for me, the first concert, like the real concert, uh, was that alternative one. But you and I, Ron and I, went to Creation in summer of '93. So. If you want to count it as the first real uh, concert event, that is definitely it. It's uh, it's just right. a, a lot of the bands, not a lot, a lot of people know. So I, I tend not to bring it up because it takes about an hour to explain. Um, I believe it's still going, isn't it? Oh yeah, in two places now. It's out in California now too. No kidding, that's actually smart thinking. Uh, so my church paid for uh, me, you, and Dave to go to Creation Fest with some of the kid, and I cannot remember that kid's name. Do you? I got a picture of him, but I cannot remember his name. Was it Andy? I think it is Andy. That's the name that was on the tip of my tongue. Okay. Uh, so the church paid for us to go out there because uh, my youth group leaders, uh, Matt and, uh, oh my God, I'm having a moment. Uh, t- t- uh, Todd. Todd. Matt and Todd. 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 <laughs> They, uh, they just, they, one of them was from that area and he's like, we got to go to this concert. This is a huge event and we can expose the kids to like new music and, uh, group worship and stuff like that and get together. And at the time I was, you know, I was religious, uh, to be, uh, I don't want to get into the conversation really, but I'm not religious anymore. That's probably why I've never back to creation. But, uh, at the time it was an amazing event and I still feel really, really rotten for being so self-conscious and not letting that kid Andy just, he wanted to dance as goofy as he wanted to. And for some reason, I was embarrassed by it. And I kept telling him to stop. And to this day, I severely regret that because he just wanted to be like free and happy. And I was stepping on it. Shame on you. I should be ashamed. <laughs> yeah, but, but in general, though, uh, who did we see? We saw, uh, I think, Audio Adrenaline, Newsboys. Um, DC Talk was there. That's right. Who was and then, of course, was it? Brian? This was my first foray into. Well, no, I knew who Striper was at that time, but uh, beyond that, I didn't know any other rocking Christian bands by any means. And the way was, we saw Guardian, Guardian, and Bride. Bride. Now, Bride was extremely Bride. heavy, and that really surprised oh. us. We're like, wait, what? This is full on metal. He's like climbing up the side of the rigging and what have you, threatening to jump out in the crowd. And <laughs> it was like, it was. Yeah, of course, he never actually did because they wouldn't let him. But <laughs> well, I think it was you guys went up to the front when Bride was playing, oh, yeah. and I stayed back with Matt Kennedy. And uh, when I'm standing there, all of a sudden, the lead singer of Guardian steps into the lawn or whatever to watch Bride, and he's standing right next to me, and. I didn't know how to react. This is the first like celebrity that I'd ever met, and I kind of just turned. And I go, "You're, you're a guardian, aren't you?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah. How you doing?" I go, "Oh, fine. I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm good now. It's you guys are awesome." And he's like, "Well, thank you very much." And he's like, "I'm gonna enjoy the concert now," which was his way of like, "You can stop now. Stop and you know, you look like you're about to have right. an anxiety attack." So I just kind of sat there and I relaxed and rocked out. But that was my first celebrity interaction. That's awesome. Did you guys ever meet any of the bands you went and saw? Well, I saw Bride and Guardian after the fact. We went for um, um, 
autographs. I think somewhere I've got a, an autograph uh, autograph pick from their um, Guardians bass player, and then I've got a whole bride photo that was signed. You so know, that's about as close as I got to them. But yeah, Robert, did you ever meet anybody? Uh, not really till lately. Uh, just with some of the the Christian concerts we've taken the youth group to, and uh, you know the meet and greets when they're selling their merchandise and stuff. So. Yeah. Not not back in the day. <laughs> I feel like the focus of the hard rock and heavy metal bands back in the day were like, you're a dude, go stand over there. I'm going to go talk to all these chicks. You know, back then, uh, I don't know if it's still that way. I don't, I'm not going to take that away from them, but it did seem like they were more interested in, in sex than like, oh, a fan, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so As I uh, get a little older, I might change a bit. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, Creation is something, if, if you're interested in it, you should check it out. It's a three-day festival, if I believe. Or was it that? Was it only three days, or was it longer? It was two nights, three days, uh, I think. Or maybe, no, it was three nights, four days. And I remember smelling very, very badly because I was afraid of the showers. I have no idea why. It's not like I wasn't safe. But uh, I just, like, I think I took one shower the entire time I was there. And I remember when we were doing our goodbyes with the other youth groups, that someone hugged me, and there was that small moment of pause where she kind of, like, inhaled the stink. And I go, I apologize. <laughs> I haven't showered in a couple of days. And it was just really awkward, and I felt so mortified. Well, I remember, you want to talk about the whole experience. We got, I remember waking up in the morning. Okay, for those who don't know about creation, it's in a valley in the mountains in Pennsylvania. So, daytime, hot. Oh, my God, was it so hot. Mornings and nights. Oh, uh, so if you didn't get up at the butt crack of dawn to go get your shower, you were stuck with getting water out of the hose and pouring a bucket of ice water pretty much on top of you because it was so cold and so packed. <laughs> what, what do you think was worse, taking those showers or trying to use one of the outhouses which uh, had been visited by roughly a 1,000 other people right before you? <laughs> Um, being a camper, that didn't bother me all that much. Oh, man, I had to hold my breath when I had to go number two, and uh, right. I almost passed out because it, I was like, I can't hold my breath this long. <laughs> <laughs> that was back before I start, I even started worrying about germs. Yeah. When you have kids, that really becomes like second nature. It, it kind of sucks, but <laughs> you're like, no, 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 don't sit on. Oh. <laughs> don't put that in your mouth, no. Uh, no, unfortunately, I did not. You say unfortunately, but I look back now, and I couldn't even tolerate... If you were to tell me that I was at a six-hour <laughs> concert, I'd be like, oh, seriously, six hours? I want to take a nap. I'm so, I feel so old now. I don't want to sit through a six-hour concert. Unless there's like, do you guys got Lazy Boy seating? No? It's just, it's all standing? <laughs> Remember DC Talk wrote in, when they wrote in, and I do mean wrote in, they came down the hill on Harleys and rode up onto the stage before their show started. I thought that was one of the coolest things I'd seen. But. Yeah. Oh, and I remember we were in a music video, sort of. I mean, we're part of the audience. Yeah. What was that lady's name? Was it Amy Grant? Amy Grant was, uh, did the final show, the final night show. Um, that was when they did like the candlelight vigil on the whole side of the hill. So during one song towards the end, 
everyone had a candle and all the lights went down. All you saw were these candles on the hill. It was really neat. But, uh, did you of course, the camera was running around there. Did you get to see the video? Because I've never actually seen the video. Uh, I don't recall it, honestly. I do know cameras were running around that audience. So I want to I watch it just to see if you can catch me with the wax burning my hand. And, and I'm, just, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm still trying to hold it up. And I'm like, ah! the whole time it's just like scalding my hand. We were supposed to have paper cones on mine. But mine fell off and I could never find it because it was dark by then. And, of course, you're not going to hold a candle down to find it because you'll set somebody on fire. But I remember the wax just pouring down, coating my hand, and I was in agony. And I just finally said, no, I, I, I'm stop, stopping. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> Peeling it off. <laughs> Peeling off the wax off your hand later was a nice, fun event. That's good exfoliating. Yeah. Oh, there goes all the hairs I just grew in. <sighs> I worked all year on those. No. <laughs> Speaking of, that's when I think... Now, you got your facial hair very early, Robert, uh, Ron. Uh, you got yours, like, what, freshman year? No. Well, the goatee and stuff, yes. I had a, I had a mustache, actually, in junior high. So. Wow, that is impressive. Are you part Sasquatch? Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think you and I, Robert, uh, we're kind of late bloomers on the whole facial hair thing. When did you start, like, growing the goatee and mustache? Uh, it wasn't until pretty, pretty close to my senior year because I had the mullet and everything else. So oh, the impressive, the epic, <laughs> the, the epic mullet. Uh, I wish this was a video cast because I got pictures. <laughs> oh, look on Facebook. Tanya, Tanya's posted all those pictures on Facebook. Awesome. That's okay. I think you're the only one with all of your hair, so it's almost sweet justice now. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember I started I when we were at Creation just as we were leaving I started to notice that I I, I hadn't shaved and I had sideburns and I acted like I was so manly I was like yeah I'm 16 I got sideburns I'm a man and just the ridiculousness <laughs> of oh you got yeah you got six hairs on each side of your face what are you talking about that's not <laughs> those aren't sideburns well you pulled them off they weren't that bad. <laughs> no, well, it was later when I became, like, epic. I mean, if you want to talk about killer uh, sideburns, I would put the whole cast of 90210 together and compress the sideburnology <laughs> of them, and I would still beat them. Yeah, but see, if any of the three of us could have pulled it off, you were the only one that could pull off the sideburns with it. Yeah. So. Did you guys have, like, goofy ones? Like, they were all curly and went all different directions? I never even tried. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I could I it could grow right on me. I could grow like some serious like uh the ones that go all the way down to like the bottom Ram of shop. your chin. No 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 like the thin ones, like the ska style kind of uh, sideburns. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't do that. I have this this which side is it? It's one of my sides. I, I can't grow hair in a certain spot. So if I get my beard going and I go to trim it down. I have to leave that spot thicker. <laughs> if I don't, it looks like I, I I missed with the razor or something. I, I have that same spot, but it's the entire top of my head. <laughs> I'm getting one of those too. It's, it's like my hair is old people. It decided to go south for the winter and stayed there. It just uh, we're gonna go in your ears now, your nose, you know, uh, just places you have no. Why is my neck hair connecting to the back of my head? Why is it wrapping around from the front to the back? I'm getting like a, uh, uh, a beard necklace. <laughs> <laughs> that is useful to nobody. 
That's awesome. <laughs> I'm turning into a werewolf. I, I, I feel like it's a slow progression. <laughs> uh, so well, you can college, turn it into a worse thing. So in college is when the I started going to concerts like crazy. I don't know if you guys started to taper off, but it's like I was making up for lost time. I went, like you, you and I went to see The Urge uh, when they were with Cracker, and I went and saw them again the next year. Uh, I went and saw The Urge with the Bloodhound Gang in this tiny yes. little, it used to be a movie theater. I remember it specifically because I went and saw Tootsie there, which was one of my very first movies. Could not tell you the shopping center, could not tell you the theater. But um, I think it's weird that in the middle of staying around all these tough like rocker guys, then I'm like, hey, I went and saw Tootsie here. And then, like, immediately like, I'm going, I am such a dork. I am such a dork. But, uh, I went I know with, they were all saying the same thing, just you know not what? out yeah, loud. Yes, I, I have that impulse problem where I don't have the voice inside my head going, don't say these things. Just whatever comes out just comes out. I went with Aaron Hawley, and uh, he's the one who really got me into, like, underground music. Got started getting me into ska and punk and new wave. A lot of the stuff, like, you know, that came out when we were, like, four or five. Uh, Primus. You know, uh, you know what? He Yeah, he got me into Primus. Uh, you guys were in band. <laughs> Some of the skate rock. I mean, Primus. Jane's Addiction. Yeah, uh, you guys were in band with him. Um, did he ever, like, show you, like, stuff outside of the, what was on the radio and in, like, the heavy metal world? Did you start getting into alternative music? Okay. Uh... I don't know if he's the one that turned me into the, uh, all of that stuff or not, to be honest, but didn't hurt. I think, uh, what was the one, was one Christian band in particular, you're talking about heavy Christian bands, He, I think it's called White Cross. I've White never Cross. heard of them. Mm. I don't, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I, yeah, I, don't quote me on this, I think it's one of those, but this is, this, okay, with Christian music, there's supposed to be a message, right? Yeah. White Cross, I believe, is death metal. <laughs> so uh, how's that, how's that how does anyone unless they're looking at the lyrics actually understand what the heck they're saying seriously <laughs> yeah that's the one genre that uh, i've always been confused by because there is a station in portland on saturday nights for two hours they will play music videos and it's always really really heavy and it's hard for me to believe that it's religious when it's and you're like um the imagery is pretty dark and i have no idea what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> i think you're going right over my head with this one with that kind of music i mean i'm, I'm not okay you know what i'm gonna be i'm gonna have the guts to say i can't stand that kind of music if i can't understand what you're saying in the slightest then what do i care yep. you may have killer guitar work and uh you know an insanely good drumming but if i have no idea what you're you're talking about i can't get into it you could read your grocery list for all I know, and just be like, I need another thing of milk, potato chips and milk. Get read. It has electrolytes. <laughs> Can't forget my vitamins. <laughs> I have a friend that's in one of those bands down in L.A., and uh, I oh. have I do not have the heart to tell him that I'm like, yeah, your your guitar playing is amazing. I, I cannot stand the singing at all because it makes it sound like it's like ver, uh, word vomit. Oh, okay, that's right. Yeah, that's not like, their it's, name, it's, it's right? Like it, it's like it's just coming out of their mouth. <laughs> 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 it's like it's just coming out of their mouth. 
It's like you're gargling with like milk now. <laughs> <laughs> and, um... <laughs> Uh, so that's when I started, I think metal started to fade away, the radio wasn't playing it so much, and the, a lot of the bands were breaking up. A lot of those hard rock bands especially, the minute grunge came out, Nirvana basically uh, destroyed hair metal. And looking back now, I'm not going to say that hair metal was the epitome of rock, like, oh, it's so awesome, it's so, it's so terrible that it went away. It was kind of frivolous at times. But looking back yeah. on Nirvana now, I can't stand I cannot stand Nirvana. I, I'm okay with Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, but the one band that everybody held up on a pedestal, I, I don't care for. And I have the same of course, so did Bob Dylan, but he, he did well. Yeah, I have the same thing with the Sex Pistols. They were part of the revolution of punk rock, but I will take the Ramones because the Ramones said, hey, you know what? Why don't we take the upbeat tone of the Beach Boys and just kind of give it a tweak, make it a little faster, make the lyrics a little darker, but you understand everything we're saying and you can dance to it. Whereas the Sex Pistols, they purposely had no talent whatsoever. And it's a gimmick. And I can't really get behind a gimmick band. I hear that. Well, except Guar. I can get behind Guar. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they're in a realm all of their own. So. <laughs> Yeah, the, um, so once it got to like college time, uh, did you guys still go to concerts or did you kind of taper off? Hmm. Um, for me, I think a lot of it tapered off because I was working two jobs while going to school at the same time. So, because by then I had got my own place and so I was doing everything I could to pay for my car and my apartment. So yeah, I think that you, I think you were starting to go to more country concerts because you would tell me you went to something. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool, like Brooks and Dunn or something like that. And I'm like, oh, because I wasn't really into <laughs> country at all. Yeah, and that was because of my then girlfriend, now wife. <laughs> she was into country, and I, I don't, I couldn't even tell you the last country concert we've gone to, and oh, okay. we've been to Kiss and. Def Leppard and stuff like that lately. So, do you remember, <laughs> do you remember Robert, when Kiss announced that they were going back into the makeup and we lost our minds? It was in class, and because I was huge on, uh, we listened to Kiss, but I, Revenge was one of my favorite albums. It still remains one of my favorite albums of all time. But then you heard about the makeup, and you're like, "Wait, what? The superheroes of rock are coming back?" And something that I never got to experience. And we couldn't afford it. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it was pure, it was pure no. nostalgia. And I think, if I remember correctly, it was $75 a ticket. Which, if you tell a high school student that $75 at that time, that's... We could buy a plane before we could afford it. You know, it's like that one of those things in your mind. You're like, oh my god, $75. That's so much time and money to save. <laughs> yeah, that was a week's pay. <laughs> yeah, back then, that, that, was, that was. That was a paycheck. <laughs> Oh, the McDonald's days! Oh, oh God! Uh, that was the pre—the last episode I did uh, was about working at McDonald's. But that—that um, that seemed like the the goal was to just get one of those jobs and build your way up. You always had to have that starter job, and uh, it's always kind of a bummer when you find out later you're like, oh, they're they're still working at Arby's. Eek! You know, it's like you know, so many years later. 
Right. Um, yeah. Robert, did you ever work at McDonald's? I don't think you did. No, I worked at uh, Wendy's and Subway. Yeah, he was the outsider. That's right. We used to go into Wendy's all <laughs> but, the time. But that was. You. Yeah, because remember, we'd all we'd uh, we'd do the food trading thing. I'd get my my Wendy's <laughs> food. You guys get the McDonald's food, and we we'd trade them back and forth. Yeah, I miss what... coming home with a. Go ahead. <laughs> I miss coming home with a 20-piece. <laughs> oh, my God. We were terrible with those. Okay, I started at McDonald's just as you were leaving, I think. Um, I don't know what you did afterwards. What did, what did you Where did you work after McDonald's? Little Caesar, wasn't it? Um, was that in high school? Yeah, uh, I started working at McDonald's the summer uh, right before senior year. So summer of 94. What did I do? I didn't work anywhere else during high school. Oh. When I got to college, I started working where my mom worked over there at Spectre Graphics. Oh, you delivered yeah, for Little yeah. Caesars. Nipack. No, I didn't deliver. I delivered for Papa, Papa John's. John's. Or Papa John's. Papa John's. And then that you, was after then you had that horrible accident. Yeah. Ugh. Okay, don't. Everyone's going to think it was a bad, bad act. Like I was deformed or something, but no. I just lost my truck in that one. Yeah. And $4,000. Yeah, well, that but, guy, that guy wasn't even paying attention to your turn signal, went around you just as you were turning. And I remember we had to stay up all night because they were afraid you might have a concussion. You didn't want to go into a coma. Yeah. I was like, I didn't realize the glass had even broken until I decided I, maybe I should get out of the truck now. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. rear window had shattered behind me. And, oh, it was awesome. Yeah, the, uh, the first job, McDonald's, um, I think we stole roughly about $1,000 a month in, in Chicken McNuggets. I mean, and not stole, but like... <laughs> We, we they knew we were ha we were making them for ourselves. They just didn't put up a fight. They're like, ah, eh, whatever, what you know. And then the new owners well, came in. Well, we got in. meals. What's that? <laughs> well, we got meals, so oh. it's not like we were actually. Okay, so you're, you're a part of the previous class that decided to get what they earned. The minute you left, all of a sudden, all of us. It was me, Tim Kohler, uh, TJ, Jamin. Um, oh God, it seemed like almost everybody passed through there. It got to the point where everybody was just like. You just want some free nuggets? You want some burgers? Yeah, sure. Whatever. Do we have to pay for them? Nah. I think that that's why that guy sold that McDonald's because he saw that he was just bleeding profits <laughs> because we ate. I, I can't believe my skin wasn't completely just like, from all the grease I consumed while eating there. Are we outside the statute of limitations now? <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure why he did. Well, I'm, I don't think he really cares anymore because he sold it off, so it doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> That's seven years anyway. We're we're well beyond that. Right. right. Okay. <laughs> uh, so to wrap it up, uh, the last concert that we went to in the college years, well, I went to. Um, sadly, Ron, you almost you got so close to going. Uh, I yes. we went to Lollapalooza summer of '96, and uh, we we had bought the tickets for some reason. I I don't know why uh, Tom, whatever his last name is, it. Poston or Boston or uh, it's with the Post P, I think. Right. Wait, is that the actor on Post Newhart? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> was it Tom Bosley? Was it Tom Hanks? I think it was Tom Hanks. Uh, he went and bought like thirteen tickets for Lollapalooza based on his friends saying, "Yeah, give me a ticket. Yeah, you give me a ticket, whatever." And uh, I paid for mine. Aaron Holly paid for his. Dave went. Um, and you were supposed to go, but something happened at the last minute. That's why Dave ended up buying your ticket. But then Tom had, like, 
so many extra tickets he had to pay for because his friends bailed on him. And I was like, dude, sell it to that guy at the front gate. He wants some tickets. He's like, no, nah, man, I don't want to get busted for uh, scalping. And I was like, scalping is when you ask more than the ticket price. Sell it for half off, something. No, he literally walked in with like six tickets. And I thought it was the most ridiculous thing ever. But here's the thing that we he did. He could have at least saved one for prosperity, you know, the frame, yeah. and then handed out the rest. He didn't want to sell them. He could have given them to somebody. Now, I cannot remember why yeah. you couldn't go. Was it work? They wouldn't let you. I work. Probably, most likely, it was probably work. But wait, was it? No, it wasn't high school, was it? No, it was college. It was uh, between freshman and sophomore year of college. <clears throat> freshman and sophomore, so we would have been there in the summer then. Yeah, and uh, we yeah. found out later. We found out later that you got out of work. He let you out to go to the concert about fifteen minutes after we left. Now, if we had cell phones back then, you could have called us and we could have come no, back to didn't. get you. We were born in the wrong era, man. Oh. <laughs> but I will tell you this. No, we were. Uh, I, I like her. <laughs> yeah, with the exception yeah. of the Devo concert I went to four years ago, uh, Lollapalooza 96 was the greatest event, uh, concert event of my life. Let me tell you, kids, what the lineup was. Uh, first off, we have a band <laughs> with a guy dressed in silver. And a lady who would scream the entire concert while he tried to sing over her screaming. We have no idea what that was. Um, Is that hailstorm now? <laughs> I, I, I have no idea. It was like someone had unleashed some sort of art project on us, and we're like, why is this still going? <laughs> what did we pay for these tickets again? No. Uh, now, it might blow your minds to hear that all these bands were $60, but uh, so it was Screaming Trees which at the time had a couple of decent hits. Sadly, the lead singer did die of a heroin overdose almost immediately after this concert. Uh, then we had The Ramones, which um, at the time I did not appreciate. It would be a few years later when I'd understand. At the time, you know when you guys go to concerts, they do a song, and uh, there's that pause, and they kind of chit-chat with the audience. They kind of play with them, and they like, discuss what's coming up next. Right. Okay, yeah. I was like, eh, response. <laughs> um, but Ramones don't, <laughs> the Ramones don't do that. They go boom, 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 and then their their set is done. They move on. It's like the quickest thing ever. They'll they'll fit like thirty songs in to thirty five minutes, and you are almost exhausted by the time it's done. And I was like, ah, what was that? I swear we just saw a band, but I feel like I got punched sonically. <laughs> and uh, then it was Soundgarden, which tore the place up and sadly they broke up this this concert was a little cursed because the ramones broke up right after the Lollapalooza tour soundgarden broke up right after the Lollapalooza tour that guy from screaming trees died and the next artist waylon jennings i can't remember when he died i, I assume it's a few years afterwards well that's why everybody broke up because they saw waylon and said we're not worthy now here's the worst part of the concert <laughs> the uh when waylon jennings went on the audience lost it in a bad way, in a very, very bad way. They started to scream and throw and fight. Uh, there was a girl who sat right in front of me, and I saw all this stuff flying around. And I go to turn to see if anything's flying at me, and just as I turn, a glass bottle shoots past my face and hits her right square in the nose. Oh. And that People was just don't. Yeah, go ahead. 
I that's the problem when you serve alcohol. Those fits. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a true bummer. And I was like, man, I would have taken the hit on the back of the head. I think I would have survived. But uh, I mean, we've seen this girl who just turned to see what was going on behind us get hit in the face. And I think almost immediately after that, Metallica came out and said, "If you guys don't shut up and sit down and respect this amazing artist, we're not performing." And all of a sudden. You see 10,000 people just go, sit down, put everything away. And it's like kids, like little kids had to sit on their hands and be quiet. Yep. Hear crickets? <laughs> yeah. And then um, it went fine. It was kind of like we're all a little scared. I mean, I was fine because I wasn't disrespecting the man in the first place. But uh, when he played the theme song to Dukes of Hazard, the place just erupted with joy. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> and how could you not? Everybody knows that song. And then Metallica came on, blew the place away, and uh, they played for like an hour and a half. And by the time you're done, you're so exhausted from just like singing along and the heat and, uh, and, and standing and whatever. And uh, I didn't know this. At the time, playing against a Metallica, they had two stages for Lollapalooza. There's the alternative stage and the main stage. If you don't care for who's on the main stage, you can just go over to the other one. Ben Folds 5 was playing their oh. first tour against Metallica. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> yeah, because looking back now, I was like, man, I would have loved to have seen Ben Folds 5, but I'm totally going to pick Metallica first. What what album, what tour was that for Metallica? Uh, it was, um, what is the album that, Robert, remember we went and got the or. Wait, did all three of us go get the album? Fuel? No, it's the no, one fuel with... Oh. What year was it? It was 96. I think it was Load. That would have been, yeah, Load, I believe. Yeah, uh... Was it Load or Reload? Yeah, at the time, uh, Metallica was getting a lot of flack for doing that album because they cut off their hair and they kind of changed the sound. <laughs> Looking back now, it's actually their most daring album ever because... It's still incredibly catchy, very powerful songs, but they decided to explore different avenues in music. Their producer said, hey, they were talking to Lars Ulrich at the time, he goes, you can play very, very fast. You may be the fastest drummer on earth, but somebody eventually is going to surpass you, either with, you know, because of age, you can't keep up, or they're just going to find a way to go faster. You cannot keep up with the new bands coming out, so you're going to have to evolve and change into something else, or you're going to get left behind. Yep. And they did well. I thought they did. I don't know. I, I love the album. So. Yeah, but I remember uh, I was in the car with you guys when we heard the very first song off that album, and I hated it because I didn't understand what they were doing. I thought they were selling out. Did you guys feel that at all? Yeah, I was in agreement. I, I was not happy with it, um, and now I own all of them. But <laughs> St. Anger is the one where they went horribly wrong. I do not understand that album. It is almost unlistenable for me. I honestly don't know if I've actually heard that album. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've listened to it a couple times, but that that's pretty much it for that one really yeah it's the most difficult album for them i think the band was falling apart at the time and that's just kind of what came out it was like uh, sonic therapy but sometimes you should work that stuff out in private because that that album is so bad it kind of killed their momentum uh they did one other album death magnetic which is almost the successor to and justice for all if you guys haven't heard death magnetic that is epic it is it's truly a fantastic album i'll have to look it up it's good 
Is it? The other band at the time, uh, I never got to see Anthrax or Megadeth. Did you guys ever get to see them? I got to see Megadeth. You did? I can't remember with who. Uh, yeah, I, n- I never got to see either one of those two. Yeah, I, was I always, see Megadeth? I've always been scared. This makes me sound like such a win, but I've always been scared of going to metal shows because I don't know the approach. I have an unwavering fear of the mosh pit. Now, the mosh pit is nothing new, but at the time when we started going to concerts, it kind of was. I had never really seen one before, and all of a sudden they started to pop up everywhere, and I just honestly didn't feel like getting punched in the face. Well, the yeah. biggest thing is you just got you got to keep an eye out when you see it start to form, back to the side. Yeah. <laughs> side step, get your butt out of there. I remember. I, I think I got a mosh pit ever, and I. Well, thankfully, came out unmaimed, but I never joined another one after that. Yeah, I, I, I had, felt it for four days afterwards. <laughs> I had one break out right in front of me at the uh, during the urge, and some guy jumped up as high as he could, and I wasn't looking, and he landed right on my foot. He didn't break anything or damage anything, but I remember it being swollen for the next couple of days and trying to finish the concert uh, with your foot, like just like pounding, pounding, pounding. It's the longest night ever. I remember this was high school, one of the high school dances, and they'd play some of the music, and we'd have a, a teeny tiny itty bitsy mosh pit, if you will, <laughs> of like four or five guys up front there. And I remember going up against Brandon Smith. Wow. If you remember him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you don't stand a chance <laughs> when you're my size, because for those who don't know me, I was scrawny. That Literally, people called me scrawny Ronnie. Oh, um, that sucks. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, it wasn't the wisest choice ever made, <laughs> but I got in there with my whole, you know, two inches of hair, you know, I thought was so long. It was only like two inches long, but <laughs> now, I remember when your hair was long. I remember when you, yeah, out really, solid. yeah, that was kind of wild because that's when we started shaving the sides and letting it grow out and you had it back in a ponytail. I was never that's able when to, I became, I was never able oh, to, man. Oh, that's right. Your hair would boy, it would bounce out like crazy. You look like Sideshow Bob. That's what you look yes. like. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh. Without the annoying drinking, smoking habit. But anyway. Uh. No. Oh, no, no. Sideshow Bob is the one that goes to prison. He's always the one trying to kill Bart. You're thinking of Krusty the Clown. Oh, was Krusty the one that did that? Krusty the Clown is always the one that hosts the kids' show. Sideshow Bob was his uh, sidekick who ended up being a psychotic murderer played by Kelsey Grammer, he was always trying to kill Bart. Right. And your hair looked uh, just like his. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I now, could get kind of psychotic at times, or at least sound like I was. Yeah. Uh, Robert, <laughs> um, did any bands ever come and perform at your concert, or your uh, college? No. Yeah, we no, were... I went to a technical college. Oh, okay. Um... I think, Ron, did we ever have any real bands show up? Because I can't recall a single one. I remember the first year we were there, I was there. Did you come the year after me? No. Yeah, because I was with Jane. No. I was with Yeah, I was with Jane. I was with you for the first semester, and then the second semester I couldn't afford. And I had to come back that's and, right. and save up some money. And then when I did come back, that's when I brought Dave. Well, this was... Some acapella band came, and they, they were awesome, but... Obviously, I can't remember their name. <laughs> yeah, but, we really didn't get any. You want to call that a concert? 
We didn't really get any name bands. I remember they were trying to get John Mellencamp to perform for free, but that was insane because I don't think at the time he was in Indiana. He was in California, and he's like, do you have any idea how much it would cost me to fly out there, get my band together, put everything up, pay the roadies, and you want me to perform for free? Didn't you guys kick me out of this college? <laughs> right. I remember going to, it wasn't at the school, though. It was down in, actually, I think it was in Evansville, so that doesn't really count. But the only thing I remember while I was at school going to was um, John Michael Montgomery and Lone Star. Yeah. And that was... Do you remember how much I hated but, country uh, to the point where I would have, like, fits like a child? <laughs> I have no idea why I did that. I don't really care for modern country. I think country music kind of changed to pop music once... Yeah, Garth pretty Brooks, much. Garth Brooks took over and it kind of changed. I think Randy Travis is the last real country guy. I love Dwight Yoakam, but I think he's more rockabilly. Um, but I think in the late 80s is when it all changed to pop music. And I just, I, I, if you want me to listen to country music, throw on some Jerry Reed. Throw on some Waylon. Throw on some well, yeah. uh, Willie Nelson, <laughs> some Johnny Cash. The, uh, the old Ax school. Yeah, and actually, Alan Jackson really never changed much either. I mean, he's still doing stuff and... And he never really changed to the to the pop style. There's still some guys out there. There are guys. There's still some groups out there now, or at least coming back out now. But thing is, I think they're kind of mixed now. Yeah, I, so they still have some country songs, but there's a pop or two in there on their album. I think and, just like the way that Nirvana killed rap. hair metal. I what, what did you just say? Did you just say country rap? Yes, there's a lot of people trying to foray into that a little bit. Really? It's just, it's just like, not an actual, honest-to-goodness rap song, but there's a rap section in the song type of thing. Even, oh. there's a couple groups that actually have a rap artist in on their album, which totally blew my mind away. But. So it's kind of like the way that uh, rap metal, like the way alternative music changed and all of a sudden Limp Bizkit, Korn, all those guys started to come out. It's probably just a fad that'll be around for about five or six years and then go away and then everybody will go, why did we like that so much? Well, here's the thing. I'm not a big rap fan by any means unless you go old school. I love old school rap. But when rock rap rock rap came out, I really dug that. I don't know why. It just had that extra bassier beat to it. Just, just You mean like Beastie Boys? Well, obviously, <laughs> Beastie Boys, obviously. But I meant more recent than them. But I guess they did it first, didn't they? <laughs> well, you know, but. that's always been a questionable debate. Because when did Anthrax do that song? When did they do their first rap song? Because I think uh, it was the year before Beastie right. Boys broke out. Right, <laughs> you're, I used to know every word of that song. <laughs> well, they, they did "I'm the Man." They did "I'm the Man," and um, what's the what's the big one they yes. did? Public Enemy. I'm the man. What? <laughs> yeah. Man, what? I haven't listened to that album. In well, well, the one with "I'm the Man" on. I've not listened to that album <laughs> since college. You know what? In fact, the, it's on cassette, which means it probably goes yeah, right now. Most of the cassettes. <laughs> it's weird that bands are starting to put out albums on cassette again. Uh, I don't know if that's happening where you are, but it's happening in Portland, which is the ultra hipster town. So anything that's ironic uh, will be popular in Portland. Oh, video cassettes? You know, VHS is popular again. Uh, uh, audio cassettes are popular again. I'm waiting for someone to put something out on beta or Laserdisc. Laserdisc, there yes. you go. <laughs> I've seen albums. I've actually seen a whole, okay, not a whole section, but at least one little 
you know how they used to have the little boots with the albums in them. There's probably I've seen good big sections of that. That late, uh, where was it? I saw that. Best Buy sells them. It may, like yeah, it may have been now. Best Buy. I'm like, a lot of groups go into that lately. Yeah, games, but still, it's kind of cool. Well, the cool part is, is that they're limited editions, and they do like special things. They'll put artwork on them, or they will do mm. a special like, oh, this one's a lenticular neon green. Or, um, the best one yet is Jack White put out his last album on vinyl, and if you look at it from a certain angle while it's playing, you can see a hologram of him playing guitar. That's awesome. I know, right? Now, Jack White, what... White Stripes. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's okay. Uh, he was in White Stripes, he's on his own now, and he's been doing, like, he's mixing country and hip-hop and rock together. But he's kind of a renaissance guy who's just picking up all these old oh, yeah. styles that kind of faded away. Jack White's a, he's a, he's an enigma. Yeah. He doesn't have a <laughs> but persona. He's That's the weird thing. Is most rock stars have some sort of persona that they try to sell. But what I respect about him is that he's trying to sell the music. And that's usually yes. what makes an artist last. Is It's not about a dance move. It's not about a look or a sound. It's about what goes into the song, what goes into the performance. Is it more yep. show than te- or uh, more tell than show? And I feel like a lot of bands now are just all this digital manipulation. Repeat the same chorus over and over and over until it gets stuck in your brain, and uh, just be flashy. Don't really be about anything. Yep, I, that's exactly what made me. I had a girl in our youth group. She asked me, do you know the White Stripes? Like, never heard of them. So I looked them up, and that's how I found out who he was, and then liked them ever since, but, but I, for that reason. I, I use their song for whenever we do sound checks on my bass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's like, "What? What? what's that? That sounds cool. What's that? Is it Seven Nation Army? Yep. Yeah. Oh, that's the best one ever. I love that. You guys, you guys still stick to your music. I have never really... I picked up a guitar. I bought a guitar from you, Robert, and then I ended up giving it to Ron because I have no discipline whatsoever, and it's kind of ridiculous that I have such a short attention span. I can't even stick to a music instrument for like a month. You could do it. Yeah. Hey, we've got Skype. I got to get some money. I'll give you some lessons. Well, we have Skype. Oh, you need a guitar. I need a left-handed... Here's my problem is left-handed guitar. See, you guys have right-handed guitars, right? You're both right-handed? Yes. Yes. See, I tried learning. You'd have to get lessons from my dad. I think the problem was I was frustrated trying to learn on the guitar I got from Robert because it was right-handed, and it's just not how my body wants to go. And so I think I just got frustrated and stopped, but not before I learned the intro to Enter Sandman. (laughs) (laughs) How many people who pick up an electric car the guitar haven't learned that one? <laughs> it's that or smoke on the water. Bum, 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 yep. bum, bum. I know how to play guitar. No, you know how to play a well, song. That's a Peter Gunn thing. <laughs> <laughs> and like with the bass, you know, you got Seven Nation Army, you got Yep, the Pink Panther. Did you um, have Primus? Have you played Primus yet? My name is Primus. I'm um, not that good yet. No, <laughs> no. Robert's made <made-up-y. laughs> Um, and then the other one. Oh, uh, uh, Queen. Um, uh, another one bites the dust. Bum, bum, yes, bum, another bum, one. Bum, 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 bum. Well, that's yep. cool. I didn't know exactly. you guys were doing that. So, 
that that is something that I, I'm really getting into like blues and uh, kind of older music, you know, stuff that was a little more intricate, uh, intricate uh, sonically, but I mean, um, no tricks, no electronic tricks, just kind of like stripped bare down music. Uh, so I'm getting really interested in that kind of stuff. There's a guy I know who does cigar box guitars. Well, I don't yes. know him. Oh, yeah. I don't know him personally. He's a friend of a friend, and he does uh, the cigar box guitars. But then he plays live with all that all by himself. He'll do that with like a little drum kit, and it's just astonishing. I gotta show. His name's Mike Snowden. If you want to check it out, Snowden Guitars, amazing. Definitely. Yeah, you prior to you telling me about him, I had originally I. Yes, I do Pinterest. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that found, is, honestly. I do so much social I did, media. I, first, go ahead. I, have, I do so much social media for the podcast, but when it comes to Pinterest, or um, there's like a thousand of them out there. There's one where you show a picture to someone for six seconds. What's that called? Snapchat or something? Snapchat. That's just lazy. Why, yeah, why would Snapchat. I want to do this for six seconds? I think the only reason you do Snapchat is to show someone like your boobs. Just like, ha, here you go, and then it disappears forever. Wow. <laughs> well, the Pinterest I got. It's a, I, at first, I thought it was a girls' thing, and then I, get, I started looking at some of the stuff. Uh, found stuff like links to things on websites for like woodworking or something along those lines. And in this particular instance, it was musical instruments, and it was cigar box guitars on how to build your own. So I had that pinned, uh, a bunch of those pinned, and I just never got around to doing it. But when you brought it up again, I started listening to it. And I've got the bug again, so. Now I have tools. I might be able to actually do it. So. Nice. That's my goal. I'm going to have to buy one. <laughs> you might have to build me a left-handed guitar and I have to buy it off you. There we go. Well, there are only three strings, and they're usually square, so you can play it either side you want. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so to wrap this around to where we started from, have you guys been to any concerts to bands that you wanted to see as kids? Like something you just like were never able to see, but you finally got to see as a grown-up, and it, it really uh, did it disappoint you? Did it excite you? Oh, wow. Um, well, a uh, few years, uh, the Mirrorball tour for Def Leppard, I took my wife. Nice. Um, and we saw Def Leppard and um, Billy Idol. Oh, yeah? How oh. was Billy Idol? Um, she still got it? Not that great. No. Um, just, he, uh, I don't know. He was having a hard time, you know, pronouncing a lot of the words. So I don't know if it was just the night or... Um, it, it just it, it just wasn't that great. Well, judging by um, the commercial he was in recently, I would imagine it's just the way he is now. <laughs> yeah, and and then um, just uh, actually this spring, or maybe it was last fall, we went and saw uh, Kiss and Def Leppard down at uh, Klipsch. Man, I, I so which used to be want, Verizon. I really, really <laughs> want to see Kiss. <laughs> yeah. Okay, was it Deer Creek when you went to Lollapalooza, or was it yeah. Verizon. No, it was Deer Creek. Okay. That was a huge... Oh, man, I still remember us trying to leave. It was 2 o'clock in the morning, and Dave had to clock in at 6 a.m. at Walmart. So he tried to take a nap in the back of the car, but uh, everybody was honking their horns. It was taking forever to get out. And I told Aaron Holly we should just park and all of us take a nap and then wait for you know everybody to filter out or whatever and then leave. And he insisted on going... And then we got about three quarters of the way through the line, and then his car started to overheat, and uh, the you know the steam was going everywhere. We thought the car was going to explode, and Dave was really getting stressed out and worried, it, rightfully so. 
And uh, I remember I said, dude, just pull over here, let it cool off, open the hood or whatever, and we finally got home. But I think we, we got home like two hours before Dave had to clock in. I always wondered what that shift was like for him. Was he just walking around like, I've been up all night, I haven't even bothered to go to sleep? Or was he just like, huh, huh, where am I? Oh, can I help you find something? Dave does a lot of that now, so I'm <laughs> innately probably just used to it, maybe. I don't know. Yes. He's better built for it. I don't know. The uh, the one one band that I truly was excited to see and was heartbroken later to find out that not a single member of the band was still with them was Foreigner. I just went and saw Foreigner last year, and um, and that's one of the bands I grew up on. I, 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 they're considered hard rock, right? Uh, Is it kind of borderline between um, pop and rock? I don't know. I'd call them just rock. It, I think more, more rock, just basic rock. I mean, oh, I okay. guess if you could call it, ba- I mean, a basic rock. Okay. Um, would you call that arena rock? Well, I, I just like some of, their song, there's some of their songs hit harder, like Cold as Ice and uh, Hot Blood and stuff like that. But you're right. I think they're just a, a mix of all sorts of rock. But I went and saw them, and they were amazing. And then I find out later, oh, so basically it's a cover band. How is that not a yeah. band? How do you guys get to charge that much money when not a single member of the band is from the original? I mean, I, I'm, I'm just I, I'm complete loss. Because, you know, at one point, or at some point, Kiss, they're all going to retire. And they're just going to pass their makeup off to a new group. And is that technically Kiss? Can they charge the same price? Or is that counted as a cover band? I'd be crying foul. You know, I don't think, I don't think Kiss would do that. No, knowing Gene and and they wouldn't allow it. The way they do things, I I don't think they would do that. There's, there in Kiss's case, there's so many other tribute groups that I I don't think they would do that. Yeah, the funny thing is, Kiss was really smart. I don't know if they planned this or just coincidental. Using the makeup allows them to hide the aging. I go and see some yeah. of the bands now that I grew up with. And I'm like, oh, oh, you've been on a rough road. I went and saw Devo, and half of the band was in shape. And then the other half of the band was a broken-down mess. I mean, some of them, like, they were jumping around on, on stage, and you can tell he's on the verge of a, a coronary. And I'm just like, oh, dude, you, it's okay. You don't need to jump. Just stop. Take a breath. And uh, it was Adam Ant is now wearing, like, such an elaborate outfit to, hire, uh, to hide the fact that he's got a gut, that he's lost his hair. And uh, that was actually a decent way to cover it up. But I've seen some bands where they just look, they look a mess. That was like when we saw Ozzy back in high school. <laughs> and he's retirement. still going. Oh my God, retirement how, sucks. How, this how, was after retirement. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. That's the one concert I forgot to mention. Uh, you guys went to that. Uh, that's another one that I was supposed to go to. And I remember you guys told me amazing stories about the concert. Like the video he would show beforehand. And uh, yeah. it got a little <laughs> like one of the ladies decided to pull off her top or whatever, which is a thing they used to do at concerts. I guess at heavy metal concerts, women would just take off their tops. And you're like, hey, oh, hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, I, it, it, it still happens now, but they're, well, you know, they think they're still the age they were when they first saw these bands. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I guess the last question I want to yeah the last question I think I want to ask is did you guys ever stage drive? No. I've always I never to, had but I was afraid that someone would like move aside and land right on the ground. 
everybody be down there going, all right, come on, come on, and this be like parting of the Red Sea. <laughs> oh, I've never <laughs> met, I have never met anybody who stage dive. It's all like where a whole group of people were like, yeah, I don't need that. I don't feel like having like someone punch me in the crotch as I land, or you know, someone hit me in the back of the neck, or just dropping me. I've had somebody well, surf over me, and but other than that, I, that's about the closest to it. <laughs> well, and I, I always thought of it, you know, I it took a, it took a lot of work time for me to get the money for the concert ticket. I didn't want to do something crazy like that <laughs> and then get kicked out and yeah. not see the rest of it. Yeah, yeah, kicked out or injured or whatever. Not, no one wants to finish the concert being strapped to a gurney, being taken out. It's like, I love you guys. I'm gonna, and then just pass out from the blood loss. <laughs> It would. Be, it was bad enough having to go to work the next day and not be able to hear anybody. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was the worst. I remember after Metallica walking around concert with that. It feels like you're underwater. Like there's a kind of a swimming sound going the whole day, and you just pretend like you heard. Uh huh. Yep. Uh -huh. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> what did I just agree to? Um, I have to give a shout out to Steak and Shake for staying up so late. so late. <laughs> Fort Wayne. <laughs> oh yeah. my goodness. We got, do not pretend that we did not get a contact high from at least one concert and end up at Steak and the Shake at 2 in the morning being like, oh God, these are the best fries ever. Oh, I need more. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't doubt it. <coughs> that and the milkshakes for your throat. Yeah, oh, scream. Yeah, I've, I've definitely been hoarse after a concert. <laughs> um, is there any band left on your list that you've wanted to see that... that that, that no longer tours. They're no longer tours. Like Rat. Rat. You know what? Uh, the band I always want to see was Arcade, which is kind of a yes. spinoff from Rat. I would have rather seen Arcade, to be honest. But Motley Crue and ACDC. Oh, the ACDC. Are they done? Are they retired? No, they keep but... tossing it up. <laughs> no, but Angus is now. Um... Fighting Dementia, so his nephew, I believe, is playing in his place. Uh, the drummer just had their big, uh, oh, right. his big deal where he was in jail. And uh, <laughs> what the, um, I think, I, if I remember correctly, I watched the last concert tour, and Angus had to use an oxygen tank. And it's really hard to pull off the hard rocking image when you're like, <sighs> you know, breathing from that. You're like, you should probably calm down a little bit and maybe retire. Yeah, and that's I I guess yeah the dementia has taken over to where he he can't remember where he's at a lot of the times and so yeah his his nephew is is doing all that now for him so yeah and Motley Crue are they retired right it was this last tour it for them they yep they just did their last tour they were just they just did the last uh, one in our area it was a month and a half two months ago I think. And then they just did their last show in L.A. where they started, um, I believe, in the last couple weeks. I bet you they come back. They're young enough. They could probably knock out another tour probably, you know, every five years. Just not go extent. I mean, how many times has Ozzy retired? <laughs> I think he's still retiring. Uh, he retired for 20 years. Yeah, well, he, I, yeah, he, he's probably retired now, now that his wife's on uh, whatever show she's on in the afternoon now. Yeah. I think the one artist that I would have loved to have seen, but I did not discover until later in life, in fact, I didn't even discover him until about two or three years ago, was Dio. I am absolutely fascinated yes. by Andy James Dio. Wait, you didn't find out until a couple of years ago? No, did you have? 
his music? Yeah, I was into him in high school. Somehow I missed that. Of all the stuff, I went through your oh. entire case of tapes over and over and over over the years, and somehow I never listened <laughs> to Dio. Wow. Wow. We, we, we're sorry. We fail you. As... We fail you, yes. Because <laughs> I, I, too, was, was big with, with Dio and... Rainbow. Black Carter. Sabbath and... Sabbath, yeah. <laughs> the, uh... You know, he's part of the... Rainbow, right? Isn't that the name of it? Right, right. Uh, anyway. Richie, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, and then he went on to do... He went to Black Sabbath, then he joined his... He formed his own band, and uh, those first four or five albums of his are just absolutely amazing. It kind of tapered off a little bit, but I remember when he rejoined Black Sabbath, and they did that song for the Wayne's World soundtrack, the Time Machine one, and oh my god, it was awesome. I even loved that song, yet I still didn't bother to go discover <laughs> Dio. Dokken, you remember them? I remember Dokken. You used to have that Dream yeah. Warriors tape we listened to all the time. Yeah, I have like three or four of their albums. Like, I picked it up for the first time at a truck stop. I happened to be out there with Dad eating supper, and I saw it. And I'm like, hmm, that cover looks cool. <laughs> I'd never heard of them before. I'm glad I found it, though, because they were awesome. It would have been nice if a lot of the bands wouldn't have been so focused on their look, because there are a lot of artists from that time period that are worth your uh, worth checking out. Tesla. Tesla is one of the most amazing bands ever. And yep. I think they got swallowed up by the hair band thing, even though they didn't really do the hairspray glam rock thing. They just had long yeah. hair. Uh, I think, uh, in retrospect, a lot of people take these bands and they put them in... Def Leppard is not a hair metal band. They, they were before hair metal and they're after hair metal. It's like saying Van Halen or Aerosmith are hair metal, and obviously they're not. Yet for some reason, Def Leppard is the one band that gets grouped in there unfairly. I call. I, I call, think it's from their ballads, though, that they do. Maybe. Right. The, I said uh, something about arena rock earlier. I think that's what arena rock is. Def Leppard, I'd fit them in that group. Right. Yeah, Aerosmith. Yeah. yeah, stuff like that. Guys that could play different, uh, different types of music. I mean, still in in the same genre, but they could go to different levels. Whereas it seemed like a lot of bands, like, do you remember, like, Trickster and Winger? It seemed yes. like they only played two songs, the Party Rock song and the Sappy Ballad, and that was it. And uh, uh, I give Warrant credit, even though a lot of people don't, with the exception, if you got rid of Cherry Pie, which was their only party song, the rest of it is really deep and dark. And I remember you and I, uh, Robert and I, used to we used to discuss that one song, The River... Is it River's Edge or something? Don't go down, down by the... Oh, wait, that, that's... Uncle Tom's Cabin. Yeah, Uncle, Uncle Tom's, Tom's Cabin. Cabin, thank you. I think I actually combined two songs yeah. there. Um, but that is actually their masterpiece. And Dog Eat Dog is a fantastic album. Anybody who loves rock yeah. music, no matter what the genre uh, is, check out Dog Eat Dog because it's amazing. Hey, Ryan, yeah. you didn't tell me the band that you wanted to see. What's the one band that you've never been able to see that you would love to? I did. What was it? Rat. Oh, it was Rat. Rat. That's right. You went first. <laughs> How did I, I apparently have been sniffing glue or not getting enough sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a long list of bands I'd want to see, but I'd have to think about it. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, so I guess that brings us to the end of this episode. Um, thank you guys for uh, hanging out with me for so long. This oh. is actually like the extended edition. Usually these episodes wrap up in like uh, 40 minutes. But uh, is there anything else you want to throw in about this topic? Uh, 
Uh, <laughs> not without starting another half hour, 45 right. minutes. <laughs> well, if okay. this episode is successful, we could do a sequel. There's no reason why we could, because we've never explored, like, uh, the 80s, like the sword sorcery metal. I still think uh, there's so much stuff out there that hasn't been discovered because people see hair metal and they just go, nah, nah, eh. But there is, seriously, people, uh, there is more than one type of heavy metal, and you should, like, dig into the catalog. There is a documentary series from VH1, um, Behind the Metal, uh, trying to remember, it's all on YouTube, it has 12 different chapters, and it has this guy who goes around the country interviewing all these people that are part of the scene, and, um, like, one episode will be a power metal, sworn sorcery metal, early metal, black metal, uh, thrash. And um, it, it, it's worth checking out. I'll try to post the link with this episode so you can check it out. And um, there's more out there than what's uh, the, one type of music. I've never understood that kind of person who just goes, yeah, I only listen to rap. I only listen to thrash. You know, it, it widen your viewpoint on music. Definitely. Yeah, I was just introduced, uh, well, it was, it was about four years ago, to uh, the group Morphine. Interesting. Uh, I don't know uh, if you've heard any of their stuff, but no, it's it's got a. Go ahead. Uh, no, I've never even heard of them. What kind of, is that metal? It's um, it's kind of Dave Matthew Bandish type of stuff, but it's got a. And Ron, you would like this. It's got a lot of saxophone, like heavy saxophone. Epic sax. In with yes. guitar and it, it's there's not there's not. A lot of words, if any, on their songs, but it's mostly guitar, sax. Um, nice. Yeah, it's it, it's pretty wild. I did not expect you, you to say morphine, and then the next thing to be Dave Matthews. I thought it was gonna be like <laughs> morphine. <laughs> no, it's more it's more like a, a like I listened to it when I for some reason when I did drywall work and stuff. It was just, it was something that when you're doing something mundane and stuff, it just, it, it adds, I mean, like, you know, with me being a band geek and, and marching band geek, um, you know, stuff with a lot of the, the saxophones and, and horns and stuff like that, um, I don't know, uh, one of the buddy, one of my guys I used to work with had it and we listened to it. And I went and bought the CD, and it's been stolen since then. But um, yeah, it's 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 crazy. Just check it out. You know, it, there it's is wild. A, I am almost guaranteeing you there is a whole episode of just Bandcamp stories you guys can tell me because I <laughs> I am the only one of our group that was not in band, and that's because the teacher told me I had no musical talent whatsoever when I was in fourth grade, and I completely gave up. And I feel like I missed out on something so wonderful. And uh, that, it, if anybody's listening to us right now, if you guys want to hear these two, and maybe you can get like Tim or Dave and get these stories together, and uh, we can just call it the band camp episode or uh, whatever we call it. First, call it first chair. There we go. Awesome. There you go. All right. Let us know if you have anything else you want us to discuss. I think we should revisit this metal one, too. And uh, the band camp sounds awesome. But uh, hopefully it doesn't take another year for this. And a part of it's my fault. I was uh, a zombie at my job for about nine months. Um, let me warn you, people. Do not do surveillance if you have the option. You will be miserable. 
<laughs> All right, thank you guys, and uh, I think it's appropriate enough to finish it on a little bit of Jackal. If you want to hear some, uh, the only band I think in history to ever use a chainsaw as a musical instrument, and well, and, and and one thing real quick, I don't know if it's because they've got something with this area, but Jackal seems to play in this area at least once or twice a year now. They're still together. I did not know this. Yes, that's awesome. Uh, Brant's Harley Davidson in Wabash, they have uh, two concerts a year, and one of the concerts every year uh, for the last three years have been Jackal. Wow. I am so glad. They, 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 must, <laughs> um, be, they must be from uh, the region, either from Michigan or Chicago, because we get bands like that. Like, um, you know all the ska bands that were popular in the late 90s? Almost all of them are from the West Coast. So they really don't do the big tours, <laughs> but they will go from like San Diego up to Seattle on a regular basis, but they rarely ever head to the Midwest or the East. So main so yeah, because I you never see Jekyll on, on tour out here. Yeah, they're they're at pretty much Brant's every year and um then you've also got uh Pierre's like every other year. Yeah Pierce, so Pierre's is a really good concert hall. The acoustics are amazing. They have plenty of room and if you're looking for a band that's not going to break your wallet, I will say go there. I would say also skip Snickers because I think the guy who's been running it for the last 40 years is still there and he's still telling Boy George jokes, which tells you he has no material whatsoever. <laughs> I mean, I'm waiting for him to have like a Dukakis joke. You're like, no, dude, seriously, get, some, get another writer. Uh, the Snickers does have big names there once in a while, so go on one of those nights. Okay. <laughs> All right, everybody. So check us out on Facebook under Retro Rock Entertainment for all of our episodes for of uh, stumbling towards adulthood and our other shows. And here's a little bit of Jackal.